And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. A motion picture designer was a freak because we did fantastic clothes. And after years and years and years of people making fun of my clothes, now they're copying them. I think that most people don't realize motion pictures are not fashion. You see, so many people say to me, isn't it lovely to be a fashion designer and dress these beautiful scars? That is not what happens. I get a script, and the script says, in this film, Grace Kelly is playing a princess. She's beautiful. She has fabulous clothes. And that's heaven, of course. The next script says, Grace Kelly is the middle-aged dowdy housewife. This is what really happened. So you do dowdy clothes. I can do tacky clothes, dowdy clothes, sexy clothes, horrible clothes. I can do clothes, anything in the world you want, from male, female, or animals. That's what you learn in a studio, like dressing an elephant. Now, who would expect a designer to dress an elephant? Costume design is like theater. Costume design is to tell a story. It has nothing to do with fashion at all, unless it's a fashion picture. But the main thing is that I want to be very sure and explain to you that fashion is not the primary thing, the primary effort in motion pictures, is to tell the story. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And guess what? We have a guest. Holy shit. A, an <laughs> awesome guest. An awesome guest. Uh, our guest is a costumer and has worked for Carl Mack and done musicals on off or on Broadway. Laura. Oh, on Broadway. Yeah, Look at that. Broadway. Look at that. Nice. We got oh, somebody. Nice. <laughs> um, but her name is Laura Shrewsbury. I've known Laura since back in the Carpenter days. Right. And um, mm-hmm. and we've sort of kept in touch after all these years and, and watched us, watched my hair go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thanks Thank for coming you. on. <laughs> Mine too. I have a shaved head now. So it's I know. <laughs> I, One of us. I so want, every time I see a picture of you now, I just think, you know, I'm going to meet you like face to face one day and inexplicably just start rubbing on top of your head. (laughs) Do people do that? I'm here to, I'm here to satisfize all of your balloons. Go for it. (laughs) Knock yourself out. Just rub those things on my head. I'll make everything static. You know, that's something I've noticed is like people who have, have bald heads, either usually shaved heads. They get people right. rubbing on their heads, mm-hmm. or if you're pregnant, they're rubbing it's on your belly. It's a pregnant belly, belly thing, yeah. yeah. It's exactly. Yeah. I just remember my wife, when she was pregnant with my daughter, people at, like, Target walking up and rubbing her belly. And my oh, wife is, like, oh. Wolverine at that point. Sure, she's yeah. like, I'm plucking your eye out. Anyway. Hi. <laughs> so you, you've you been Hello, doing this for, for a long Hello. time, yes? Oh, very long time. Yeah, 25 years in um, in the entertainment industry. So I've done... Film. I've done television, live theater, opera, and dance. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I moved to New Orleans about nine months ago from New York City. Uh, I, I closed the um, 
revamp of Les Miserables on Broadway. So I was I was working as, on wardrobe crew for that. I was not a designer for that. But Les Mis has a designer from you know when it was first originated in the 80s on Broadway, and that lady has stayed with the company for years. And so she supervises all of the remounts and. I think there's currently like six or seven productions globally. So it's a moneymaker, you know, and it's a, it's a machine. It just keeps rolling. So I was wardrobe on that. And for people that don't understand or don't know a lot about live theater, you have a costume designer who is hired to create the look of that show, you know, with the garments that the actors are going to be wearing. And usually there's a shop that the designer or several shops, the designer contracts to make the things that they've designed. And you do all the fittings with all the actors, and, you know, you have these brand-new garments. But Les Mis is, you know, Les Miserables, the, the, the miserables, right, the poor people of Paris. So then all those costumes have to be um, distressed to a certain degree, and distressing means, like, beating them down and roughing them up and using, using paints or dyes and stuff to make it look old, to make them, you know, they're brand-new garments, but they're painted and dyed to look soiled and old and, and, you know, like poor people would be wearing cast-off garments of the rich 20 years later. So things are going to be shredded and, and nasty looking. And so, you know, my job as wardrobe is maintaining the wardrobe of costumes. And so every day before the show, you have a crew of probably eight or nine people come in and we have a section that we're responsible for. It could be like the children's room. You know, there's like little, there's five little child actors that are in this. So, you know, you go through all their clothes, you make sure there's no rips that aren't supposed to be there, you know, and you check the zippers and the buttons and all the things and um, the hats, the shoes, all of it. Because, you know, things wear out, things break and um, actors sometimes aren't even aware of, of what has happened to their garments. There's, you know, a whole call for just ironing. There's a whole call for just laundry. And so you have a four-hour or six-hour call, and then you get done. And then either you work the show that night, if you're a full-time, like, uh, member of the wardrobe team, you might dress at night. Or the wardrobe preparation during the day might be your only gig, and then you go home and you, you don't actually work the show. So it's ironic because I've worked many shows on Broadway now, and I've never seen them. She's like, <laughs> how can you not see it? I'm like, well, because it's, I mean, we're not standing backstage the whole time. I mean, it's funny when you see movies and they sort of, you know, you have like the camera tracking, like they're panning and they're tracking the, the star and the star goes into their dressing room. And, you know, it's like a detective thing. The detective is like questioning the star. There's always like some little old guy or little old lady in the back, like with an ironing board and iron, like ironing the shirt. Like, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> There's no preparation of stuff during the run of the show. Like everything's set and absolutely pristine the way the, the designer would want it. Like, the ideal is that when the designer, if he or she should show up, they would look at everything and everything would be exactly the way they want it to be from inception. So it's, you know, it's a task. I mean, it's it's something that you have to take pride. You have to have an eye for detail, et cetera. So I did Les Mis. Oh, I worked it. on Motown the Musical, um, <laughs> Bridges of Madison County, and then Seven Years with New York City Ballet, which was, you know, a, a lot of work. Because <laughs> there's, 40 core girls. There's four. I was a part of the women's dressing team. So there's 40 core girls and I think 18 or 19 principals and soloists. So, you know, those tutus are probably between 3,500 and 5,000 a piece. So, you know, do the math. I mean, it's a big, it's a big investment. And so, you know, it's imperative that things fit and are maintained really, really well. 
Sure. Plus, they get soaked every night. I mean, you know, anybody that's ever seen ballet or if you've ever even tried to dance, maybe not even ballet, but just, you know, getting out on the dance floor and dancing, like, you sweat, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when you've got 40 ballerinas running out, you know, off stage to change costume into the next look, I mean, those, they're just hooked with sweat. So, you, you know, it's kind of gross. I mean, you think of them as light and ethereal and beautiful. Well, you know, it takes a lot of muscle power to make that happen. So it's... um you know, your body is really, really pumping out, like, all the adrenaline and all the sweat. And so we have to hang them upside down with the fans to make sure everything dries out for the next day. And, you know, it's, <laughs> wow. it's I, nuts. I remember, <laughs> it's um, I remember teaching classes. I teach martial arts classes. I remember teaching classes in Las Vegas. Ugh. And it would be, like, 110 Ugh. degrees or whatever. And oh my God. You, you look down at your, you know, because we're cool, you're we wear all black, <laughs> and you look down and you see like this weird white stain across your yeah, clothes, yeah, yeah. and you realize, <laughs> oh my God, that's my, salt. that's salt that's from salt my sweat. Yeah, that's your salt, yeah, totally. You know, and I mean, um, you know, the ballerina costumes, that happens all the time, and I mean, some of the, some of the really beautiful, super opulent ballets, like Sleeping Beauty that we've done have, you know, just incredible historical details to some of the core costumes. And the core is like the background. Those are the people that sort of stand around and like, you know, pose a bit and watch the the principals do their thing. And I mean, some of those costumes, you guys, when I was trying to take the hooks and eyes off the back to replace them to fit a new dancer who was coming to the role, these costumes were made, they're silk, first of all, and silk rots, okay, because it's a natural fiber. So eventually, just the whole thing has to be remade. Like, there's no fixing of anything. It's just, it's rotting, you know? Right. So the salt sometimes would rust out the, um, they'd rust out the hooks and eyes so badly that you would just take away a chunk of the fabric, <laughs> like, oh. rather than a hook or an eye. Like, the whole thing would just come off in your hand. It was like this little quarter inch of just sadness, you know? <laughs> like, well, you know, you, you I mentioned... Don't to, uh, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> ballet performances, you, you think of them as airy and what have you. Sure, sure. Um, I have a mm-hmm. Facebook friend named Kat Wildish. She teaches ballet in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw she put up a photo of... You think that, and then here's this photo of a ballerina's feet. Right. And they're trash. Oh, yeah. They're trash. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you do have to be a little crazy to be a ballerina, a professional mm-hmm. ballerina, because you endure unbelievable amounts of pain. I mean, I've seen girls go out with broken toes, with um, shin splints, with, I mean, uh, just unbelievable amounts of pain, and they just, they, they, they take their feet, and they just go and they do it, you know, and they're crying, their feet are bleeding, when they, I mean, no, seriously, I'm not exaggerating, it's just awful, but they love it, you know, they're passionate about it, and, and they're, they're some of the toughest chicks I've ever, like, the toughest athletes I've ever worked with in my life, it's incredible to me, so, you know, <laughs> I leave the ballet, and I go to Broadway, and they're like, oh, you know, meh, 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 my feet. I'm like, please, <laughs> don't even, don't even, man up, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Because, you know, are these adorable little 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds that are, like, killing themselves with the ballet. I'm like, you guys don't know pain. <laughs> Seven. Well, that's Whatever. Like, I've always thought that, like, it, it, without without adversity, without pain, um, mm-hmm. in any endeavor, um, 
you don't achieve greatness. Like that's where greatness comes from is is whenever you can yeah. find that wall and you can push through it. So say for example you're a designer and you're having right. to design something um and you've got this, you know, 20-hour deadline and right. you it's 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 not the same as your feet bleeding, but you're there fucking working your ass off. Oh um, sure, yeah. Un- until you're until it's done, you know. It, it, I think without that, I think if things were easy, you wouldn't have yeah. greatness. I agree, and I mean, you know, I think especially when it comes to design, what you always have to remember is it's a collaboration. Like you can have the greatest concept in the world, but you know, can it actually be made? Will it fit on a human body? Will the body be able to function doing what it needs to do, like dance or live theater, whatever? You know, um, I mean, I. I just I I do work for an entertainment company in 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 New Orleans now and it's called Carl Mack Presents and we do crazy stuff for people's parties. So for example, I just got done putting a six foot three man who is a stilt walker in a flamingo costume. Nice. So you know you have to figure <laughs> out like it's not just it's not just like a tall guy standing on stilts. It's a tall guy on stilts. And he's got size 13 feet. So they're going to stick out. You can't really disguise yeah. the fact that those aren't actually bird legs. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> this has to fit somehow. But there's, there's the stilt, and then there's the plate that his foot sits on top of. Yeah. But then under the plate, there's this truss, right, that holds it to the, the stilt walker stilt part. And how are you going to cover that to make it all look cohesive and bird-like and cool but he still has to be able to move around in it because, you know, that's you're putting an entertainer in danger. Like, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm very aware of that at, at all times. Like, I'm very aware of the performer's need to feel safe and secure in what they're wearing. So, you know, it's just weird. <laughs> like, always this weird kind of compromise of, like, okay, how is it going to – how are we going to do it? Like, we have this great idea, but how is it going to work? And so you're back and forth and back and forth. And also, like, things like budget, like practical stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, budget, things like – you know, do we have the materials to make this happen? Can we, you know, does it does it have to last for just one night, or does, do we need to do this for you know a, a year? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a part of it. Um, the good news is so you, it all. The good news is you got the part. The bad news is we need to make your legs bend <laughs> the other way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Went, there's a lot of that. <laughs> before we go too far down the road, I want to get a couple things out of the way. Number one. Um, to do what you do, was there schooling, or did you learn sort of on the job? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. There's schooling involved. And I I highly recommend that anybody that really wants to get into design and costume design, um, and I say specifically costume design because fashion's different. Fashion, fashion is geared towards selling a product. So you make a product, and it's mass-produced. Okay, and you stay within certain parameters of budget because you want to maximize your profit. Now, the difference between that and costume design is that costumes, largely you're only making one or two of that garment, unless it's film and, you know, like, for example, X-Men. Like, I'm sure every single thing that, you know, Logan wears has to be made in multiples, if not, like, a dozen. Sure. Because you know, things get dirty, things get trashed, or 
because it's supposed to look dirty and they do take after take after take. So they want to keep it exactly the way the designer wants it to look. There's continuity issues, et cetera. But I mean, largely if we're doing like an opera, you know, where there isn't a whole lot of activity, people are standing on stage and they're singing, you know, you want that garment that they're wearing to not only fit the scene, but um, really look as beautiful and tell the story of that character as much as possible, you know. So say, for example, like I'll use a little New Orleans history, like Jean Lafitte. Jean Lafitte was a pirate, you know, badass who was local, who kind of helped defeat, you know, the Brits and, and this and that. He's kind of like a local hero. You can't put him in a Captain Hook costume. Like, this is not going to work. Like, he looks like the guy from, like, Captain Morgan. He's sort of failed. Like, Jean-Louis was a badass. He needs to look like a badass. You need to put him in, like, something that's, like, buckskin or jerkin or some kind of, like, sleek, somewhat sexy and yet, utilitar- you know, utilitarian garment. Like, he's not going to be the kind of guy to walk around in brocade. He's just not that guy, you know? Sure. And so that sort of thing, like, that tells the story of that character. And so it has to work in that world. So, yeah, I mean, looping back to your question, yes. Absolutely. There is schooling. I have a BFA from Florida Atlantic University in costume design. And, you know, you learn about construction, but you also learn a lot about history. You learn all the, the periods important, and um, you learn about fabrics and what fabrics can do and fabrics cannot do. And you learn about working with others in a shop. Because, I mean, designing is great, but there's, like, a ton of stuff that um, – can happen in the world of costuming it has nothing to do with designing. Unfortunately, my professors never actually talked to me about that stuff, which I find very <laughs> weird and odd. You know, it was all about design, 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 and I'm like, nobody ever once mentioned to me that wardrobe was like a really lucrative job to have. Right. And I mean, if you get into this because you like, you know, you like showbiz and you you dig actors and you want to be around actors, wardrobe's worth at because you you interact with them on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to meet actors, do wardrobe because you yeah, get to like meet makeup. them. You're putting them in their clothes. Yeah, exactly. With makeup and hair. So, but I mean, there's, you know, there are artisans out there that specialize in things like, you know, like the flamingo suit I just told you about. We have an artist locally. His name is, oh gosh, I don't know his last name. It's terrible. His name is Luis, but he's great. He made these. You know, it's like a wire frame covered with foam, and then you cover the foam with fabric or whatever the material is going to be to, you know, to decorate the body of the flamingo. But he's an amazing artisan. And I would never in a million years know how to build a suit like that. Like, that's not my bag. You know, my bag is more um, historical costume, making things fit really well. I'm a tailor as well, so my whole thing is, you know, you can – you can put all the frosting and icing on something you want, but if the cake isn't baked all the way, it's just not going to taste that good. It's the same with clothing. Like, you can have the most elaborate, opulent, whatever, but if it doesn't fit your body, it's still going to look kind of like a hot mess. You know what I mean? So, sure. like, really tailoring is, is a big thing. Like, making something fit your body is important because you're going to look that much better effortlessly. You don't have to think about, oh, I have to suck my gut in and stand up straight and, like, make sure this collar's down and like, no, 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 no. That's already done for you. You don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is be present and do your job. And like, that's a nice thing. You know, it's, it's a really nice thing. It's a nice gift to give a performer. And it's, it makes me really happy when I see, you know, someone in a suit and the suit 
super baggy. I'm like, come, come with me. <laughs> come with what, me. What Let I me help you. What I didn't realize, what I didn't realize whenever I got into special effects makeup was mm-hmm. how closely I would be working with um, the wardrobe department. Oh, sure. Sure. And, Absolutely. And then, you know, at, even just after one one gig, you're like, oh, shit, you're like, these are my best friends. Mm-hmm. And, right. And we, mm-hmm. have to, and we have to work together in order to make whatever happen. It depends on, you know, obviously it depends on the project and whether or not, you know, somebody has legs that bend backwards or whatever it might be. (laughs) And, uh, and it comes down to this. And then that's the great thing about um, film. And I have to assume stage two, I haven't worked for, uh, I've only worked for a couple of live shows, um, is the collaboration between um, these people who are, who are, are are creating the thing that the audience sees? And Absolutely, yeah. It's it's total. Te- you know, it has to be teamwork. It has to be that. And unfortunately, you know, <laughs> like all things in life, um, you you get a group of people together, and there are some people that just always want to be the boss, no matter what. You know sure. what I mean? And so it's important to learn to park your ego and work as a team because, you know, you don't have to be friends with the people that you're working with. They don't all have to be your new best friends, but you do have to tolerate them and you have to work as a team because they might know a lot of stuff you don't know. So learn, you know what I mean? Like don't be a dickhead, like learn things and, and work with people. It's, it's, um, it's a good, that's, a, that's an important thing to learn. And I, I don't think that that is taught enough in schools. I think that's really an important lesson, you know what I mean? There's, I mean, university is really, it's, it's a laboratory, you know, you're, you're doing plays and things to learn how to be a part of the professional world once you graduate from school. And so, you know, again, I do think that an education, um, like a BFA in costume design is, is really important. Um, can you do it without an education? Sure. I live in New Orleans. Like this town is loaded with you know, passionate, enthusiastic amateurs that just love making costumes for Mardi Gras. But the thing of it is here, a lot of the folks will go and, you know, get like a, I don't know, a skirt or something from the Goodwill and they'll trick it out with some sparkles and put glitter on it. And and it only has to last one night. So it's kind of like disposable. It's not really that important. And um, I have been working very hard (laughs) and very steadily to make my workplace understand that rather than make this five times with hot glue, let's make it one time sewing it and it will last for a long time. And so, you know, they're finally kind of starting to see where I'm coming from with that. But like hot glue is something that a lot of people use down here to make costumes. And I understand, like if you're making it for yourself or your friends, that's fine. It doesn't need to last forever. Maybe people don't expect it to, but if I'm, you know, in my capacity as costumer for Curl Mac Presents, like, we have our talent, and our talent can range from a sword swallower to a fire eater to a showgirl to a stilt walker to a big head performer, and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff in between. But these costumes go out frequently because we do a lot of corporate parties. We do a lot of, like, um, you know, private parties as well. But, you know, it's a lot of, like, welcome to New Orleans. And so you get off the bus, and there's, like, three pretty showgirls in purple, green, and gold, and they hand you their Mardi Gras beads. And, like, welcome, you know, where we do a second line down bourbon. And it's super fun. 
But you know what? Those costumes have to last. I mean, the girls are dancing in streets that are, you know, asphalt and potholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Our streets are kind of known for being pretty bad. Um, so, you know, things just need to last. They need to come back to base and, like, get laundered or whatever and then repaired and then go back out again. And so it's, it's a matter of, like, trying to take something that looks sexy and sparkly and beautiful and making it bulletproof. So that can be tricky. But, I mean, say, for example, you think maybe you want to check this stuff out, but, you know, you're not sure or maybe you don't have the money to commit to, like, a four-year degree. Just volunteer. Like, volunteer and be an intern or, or just Everybody a volunteer at the local. Oh, hell yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So you brought up the idea of people making um, costuming um, on their own. I'm curious, as a professional, what is your take on cosplay? Oh, <laughs> cosplay. Well, I mean, I think it's – I am – okay, I'll be honest. I don't know that much about it because I've never really um, been to an event or dealt with anybody that was doing cosplay. Um, I mean, I think it's – from some of the stuff I've seen, it's pretty damn cool, but it seems like, you know, really, really, really beautiful girls wearing their skimpy costumes, and they get yeah. lots and lots of that's photo some ops of it. and attention. Yeah, that's some of the mm-hmm. TNA stuff is, they're like booth, I used to call them booth betties, that they were, sure, sure. They were designed mm-hmm. to get crowds to come to your table, but now I sure. think you're seeing, we just had um, a, a cosplayer on, and the amount of cost and attention to detail is amazing. Um, you were at Comic-Con last year. There was a Hulkbuster armor right. that was a good eight feet tall. Talk about still performing. Um, and it was movie yeah. quality. And so I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, here's your average Joe that's just sort of pulling it kind together. Of, kind of the arts and crafts version of what you Sure. Do. No, I mean, it's impressive. Like, I, I remember there was a, a con going on at the Javits Center in New York and I went down to Chipotle, you know, to get a burrito or whatever and there was a guy in there that had a full-on Ghostbusters with Slimer coming out the back nice. costume. You know, he was in full costume getting a sure. burrito and I was like, dude, well done. Like, well yeah. done, sir. This was impressive. But, I mean, again, you guys, you have a, an enthusiastic amateur um, and I only say amateur because they're making that costume for themselves or a friend. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the client. I don't know. You know what I mean? But you're, you have X amount of dollars in your budget, and you have X amount of time. And so you can spend a lot of time on one costume. Now, I'm not, I am certainly not saying it's not legit. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, oh, poo-poo, it's not for theater or film, it's not really real. Of course it's real. Someone's wearing that, and they're getting a lot of pleasure out of it, and that's fantastic. But with cosplay, I feel like unless you're doing live-action role-play, which, again, is kind of a, a group thing that you do for your own pleasure and your own fun, like you're not charging people to come see it, so it is so amateur in that it's not a professional money-making thing. Um, I think I think it's wonderful. I think you know if if it if it brings you joy and you're happy, go for it, do it. But you know, is it the same as doing um, you know a show like an actual play or something? No. Is it the same as doing you know television or film? No, not at all. But I would say that those artisans that are making those costumes may, if they felt like it, could segue into, you know, helping with theatrical design or moving into theatrical design, 
easily. You know, you've got you've got the skills. You just have to learn kind of how theater works. Yeah, you know what I mean? Well, like theater's sure, its own. Sure. It's, its it's its own world. Like film is its own world. And so, you know, with theater, everything has to like when that show opens and the curtain goes up at eight p.m. Like everything has to be ready. It has to be ready. There's no like do overs. There's no oh hold the curtain for five minutes while I sew this kid's you know pants. Right. Like no, it has to be ready. Or it's film. You know, you're shooting that day mm-hmm. or TV, you're shooting that day. So you can have a shop working on tomorrow's look. But right now, you're only shooting for the day. And so if the scenes are like, you know, filthy, dirty or nighttime shoots, like if you have your, your wardrobe crew manning the shoot of that particular um, scene, you know what I mean? Uh, you have a whole other division working on tomorrow's stuff, the next day's stuff, the next day's stuff. I mean, I, I worked for one day as the seamstress for a, um, uh, a nighttime soap opera on the Oprah channel. It's called Queen Sugar. Mm. And, you know, I worked for 11 hours that day just sewing, just doing alterations, and it was all store-bought clothing. I mean, this, this is the other thing. A lot of people are like, oh, my God, I love making historical costumes, and I love corsets, and, oh, I love to be in theater, and I'm like, yeah, but you want to know something? Like most of the stuff that you see on television is contemporary. And so unless you have, like, um, as a designer, getting to know companies that will loan you things is critically important. That's where it kind of crosses almost into styling. When you're a stylist, you develop um, relationships with stores, like Saks Fifth Avenue or, like, different boutiques where you are able to um, – they will loan you garments. And, you know, you, you put your credit card down as a whole, you know, with the promise that if anything is damaged, you know, you pay for it. So ideally you get it back and it's undamaged. But, you know, um, sometimes companies will just donate clothing if they're big enough and they can afford to do it to get credit on this film. Because sure. it's kind of a, a thing, you know, people see your movies and they ooh, where'd that come from? Like um, Kate Beckinsale in the... Uh, underworld oh my god thank you (laughs) my brain yeah in the underworld like she was wearing some of the rubber from um oh my god you guys my memory is it's it's burn and something or other it's like this british company that does like really great murray and burn like Mm -hmm. really really great fetish wear like a lot of rubber and a lot of like really cool embossed leather and stuff and so I believe that Murray and Byrne were contacted to build some of the stuff for Kate Beckinsale. So, you know, they get a little shout out for their company Absolutely. and and on and on and on, you know, so that's like, yeah. there are certain people that are willing to kind of maybe take a pay cut to get a little bump, you know, of, of publicity. And, sure. well, because, in, you know, people are going to see that movie forever. So. In many ways, their costuming mm-hmm. define that film. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I agree. Um, I agree. Films, yeah. The, it, it, and it's beautiful. I worked Underworld 4 and interviewed Beckinsale, and she was in that outfit, and it was amazing. Ooh. It was, am- I mean, amazing. Mm-hmm. And she smelled Yeah, and awesome. I mean, it's... <laughs> she really did. She smelled like flowers and hope. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I saw um, uh, The Huntsman and Winter's War the other day, which, I mean, honestly, was kind of a crap movie, but oh my God, was it just like a feast for the eyes. Yeah. And when um, Charlize Theron as Ravenna steps out of the gold mirror in this dress, 
that looked Sweet. like liquid gold. I was like, holy shit. Like, oh, my God, Colleen Atwood, damn you. But, like, I love you. You know what I mean? Like, she just gets all the good stuff. Man. But she's also just an incredible designer. And so, I, of course, I had to, like, look. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say, can I just say Colleen Atwood, fuck you. Because you, why? You, well, why because she's that? always she's, awesome. It's so good. It's always oh. so good, and it's like no, you know, that's not cute. Like that's a, she's a she's a no, goddess of this crap. Uh, like, oh, Laura, don't, don't. I don't mean oh, fuck amazing. you. I don't mean fuck you as in <laughs> fuck off. I mean like nah, you're so good. Amazing. You're so good, and you've been involved no. I'm in like so I'm like things. yeah. I'm like I'm not worthy. Like I want to be you, but I don't. But I and do. She's <laughs> so good. Exactly, you nailed it. She's in that so, group of people like, uh, you know, the, some of the costumers that I, that in the midst of this I was looking at were, was, of course, Edith Head. Sure, sure. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, a sure. favorite of mine, Nieko uh, Ishioka, who did... Oh, amazing. Uh, Incredible. Dracula. But you know, right, right, right. He's an interesting one because Nieko, like, um, really was more of a visual artist, I think. Yeah. I think that Coppola hired her because she was not, uh, can I say, there's a sort of veneer of Hollywood. Sure. There's a sure, veneer sure. that happens yeah. wherein you look at movies from the 40s, and it's set in 1910, but everybody is wearing pretty much contemporary hairdos, right. and they're wearing, like, basically a 1940s dress with a long skirt. You know what I mean? And, like, the, the you know, there are many Betty Grable movies and, and Judy Garland movies that exemplify this because there's pressure from the actors and the director to make, they want the actresses to look really pretty right. or they want the actors to look hot for the time that the movie's being released. Not necessarily what is, you know, accurate for that, that point in history. So, you know, that's a constant battle if you're a total hardcore, like, no, 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 we have to do this period correct. And, you know, designers usually have to bend to the egos of actors, actresses, or the director because, you know, I mean, it's a lot of money and they're making this movie. And so you're just like, it doesn't matter if it's period correct, like, whatever, it's period correct enough, you know, and there's a variety of, um, of directors that have fought against that. There's that movie, The Piano. Um, that Jane Campon, Campion, Campon did, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, like, and I think in the early 90s. And, I mean, she was very hardcore and very snobbish about the veneer of Hollywood. And she wanted her actors to look and wear hairdos and hairstyles that were absolutely period correct. So she was taking all of these old, um, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, derogotypes, derogotypes, the, um, the old, like, tin-type oh, yeah. predecessor sure, sure, photograph. Sure. Like yeah. those, like like those sort of sepia toned on metal, you know. So yeah. she had all of these, and she was going over the with the hair and makeup people and the wardrobe and the and the costume designer of like, I don't want it pretty. I want it correct. I want it period correct. Yeah. And I have to applaud her, like as a costume designer, that's a bold move as a director because usually you just want the people to look hot, you know. Like Dracula, the original Dracula with. Um, uh, not the original Ghosty. Dracula, but the, uh, the, no, no, not, sorry, not the little ghosty, but Franz Langella. Oh, yeah. Okay, Franz yeah, Langella yeah. does, does it. Now, first of all, they updated the movie away from Victorian into, like, Edwardian. So it was that sort of turn of the century, so, like, costumes were much lighter, like, the fabrics were much lighter. Sure. But also, you guys, have you seen his hair? I mean, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> like, every like single, 
every single man in that movie had like 1972 long hair. Yeah. Every yeah. single actor. I didn't know they had blow dryers is. in the Victorian era. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. But how hot well, was it? In, in, in the Edwardian era, they apparently had the dry look. Slaves. But I mean, you know, men in that time, in 1910, had very, very short hair like you know there's ads for like arrow which was the you know the shirts of the time there was a, a shirt company for men and the arrow guy had almost kind of like uh if you want to look at 1930s hairdos for men that was kind of what was really happening that was the hot style for guys very very short very close cropped you know and here's Frank Langella with his like massive curly mane you know it was like the undead hair club for men president kind of look going on <laughs> Like, wow, look at that hair. Holy crap. But that's the thing. It's so, um, I don't even, I'm sorry. I've like veered so off track. I don't even know. No, that's what we do here. That's what we, that's our stock and trade. (laughs) But that's the thing. It's like, you know, you, you have to fight this sort of uphill battle. That's the other thing of like, do I want to make the actors look pretty in a contemporary way? Or do I want to stick to my guns and have it like super period correct? And it's a hard one, especially in America. Europe Europe does it better than we do. Like Europe has a much more interesting vision in a lot of things than we do. And they still manage to achieve a beauty without it being an ego fest. You know what I mean? For sure. a lot of actors. And me, I don't know. I, I do like European movies. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, ask I was going to say, let me ask you a question. Um, uh-huh. Do you think that um, it's more important to make an artistic statement, or do you think it's more important to be historically accurate? Uh, you know, that's a tough one, man. I mean, oh, oh, so it was, it was yeah, Ikeli Shoma. Okay, so ve- like looping back to that, you would ask me about her and her work, and I was saying she's a visual artist, and she was doing like kind of really cool stuff that wasn't either historically accurate, but it was definitely a visual statement. And in that, it worked magnificently in, in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, that armor that Dracula was wearing, that doesn't right. exist in history, yeah. but it was freaking cool. cool. Was you know what I mean? Cool. Like, it, was so like, cool. it was like he had stripped his skin so off. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it was like all this musculature. And you see it again in the cell. Like, when, you know, those the suits that they wear in the cell that they go into to, like, get into the minds of people, mm-hmm. that also echoed the, um, the the Dracula wolf suit, like the wolf armor suit that he wore. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it kind of depends. It's like, I always say... Does it serve the story? And that, to me, is the most important part of anything. When you're doing Shakespeare, okay, like, serve the story. If if you set it in the, if you're taking Taming of the Shrew and setting it in the Wild West, that that can be fantastic. Like, that can be really, really fun and really awesome, and it can be a rollicking good time. But is it gratuitous, or is it serving the story? Are you telling the story in a fun, fresh new way, or is it just, like, it's my vision. You know, and you don't want to be a douche. Like, you don't want to be the douchey person that's like, oh, it's my vision. Who are you, like, Terry Gilliam? Save that, you know. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, just save right. that when you're styling fashion shoots. Like, that's so, pretty much what I have to say about that. But, you know, so me, it's, it's always ask, interesting. Let me ask you about how um, things that are not real. Um, oh. So, for example... Uh, if you had been a costume designer on Lord of the Rings, for example. Right. Uh, where people are putting things uh, inside of costumes where no one is ever going to see it, 
It's never going to be right. part of, you know. It's also part of a massive budget, though, and yeah, someone absolutely. being allowed it's part of a to massive, do that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. How important is that to right. the costume designer at, in relation to the actor? Well, um, I mean, if it, I feel like if it helps the actor um, form a better bond with the character that they're inhabiting, then I'll go with that. It's okay. Like Viggo Mortensen, I remember reading this article when he was, you know, he spent time with a horse he was riding. Even on his day off, he'd go and visit the horse and, like, maybe ride it or, like, feed it or whatever. And um, he would mend his own costume. Like, if there were rips and stuff, he would sew it himself, which, you know, if he knew what he was doing with a needle and thread and he felt like this was something that would help him because he was a ranger and he'd be pretty much out in the woods anyway, like by around the campfire and there's nothing to do. So you just like fix your stuff, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, like that's, that's legit. Like that is something, you know, you also have to listen. You can't be a complete egoist. You have to listen to your actors. You have to listen to what their needs are for this character and kind of go for it. And so if that helps him achieve a feeling of oneness, was playing, a, you know, the ranger, like, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, back to ballet, or back to ballet, the ballet land, there was a glorious designer who is woefully unsung in the history of costume design. Her name is Karinska, Barbara Karinska, but she just went by Karinska. And she worked very closely with George Balanchine, who was the founder and the an amazing choreographer of New York City Ballet. And Karinska would do wonderful things. Like, for example, she made this incredibly, incredibly beautiful ballet called Vienna Waltzes. And there's this scene at the end, and you have this, you know, stunningly beautiful prima ballerina in this ivory satin gown. And she and a partner who's in black tails comes out, and she's, you know, she's got her hair up in this beautiful, beautiful, like, updo tiara, and she's got, like, beautiful diamond necklace on, and she and her partner are just like, you know, Fred and Ginger, like, you know, like Fred and Ginger could wish to be this good. You know what I mean? And they're like waltzing across the stage. And at the, you know, the back of the, uh, the, the, the back of the scene, suddenly the wall flips and it's all mirrors. It's all gilded mirrors. They all flip out and it's mirrors. And then all of a sudden there's 40 core men and women dressed almost identical in like white satin evening gowns and black tailcoats, and they all come out, and everybody's waltzing on stage, and it's unbelievably beautiful. It is so stunning. It's, inc- it's just, it's like, your heart just skips a beat. It's so beautiful. So anyway, Krinska, opening night of Vienna Waltzes, her principal ballerina discovered that in the underside of the train of her waltz gown, there was a loop that you could put around your wrist, so that, you know, that the train of your gown would be supported oh, by sure. your arm. Right. There was a golden embroidered rose that only she could see. Wow. And Karinska could put it there to just let her know that she was special and beautiful and that, that this was just for her. Like, this was just for her. Yeah. Everything else was for the audience, but this little thing was for her. That's and that stuff goes a long way. Like, that oh, stuff yeah. really does yeah. go a long way. It's, it's an amazing little detail like that that just signals that someone is thinking about the art that you're doing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That you're out there giving it all. And it's, 
it's not easy, guys. Like, it's easy to criticize and it's easy to poke holes and this and that, but it's not that easy to put yourself out there, whether it's on film or on stage or whatever. And so to know that someone not only has your back by creating this beautiful, beautiful costume for you to wear, or maybe it's not a beautiful costume, but it's an appropriate costume, but then they go a little bit extra and give you a little something Mm -hmm. to, like, make you feel like this is super legit. I remember I worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company for a while. They did a seven-week engagement in New York City, and I was um, I had the great honor of working with them, and it was glorious. It was the hardest I've worked in years, and it was the most fun I had in the summer in a long, long time. Oh, my God. Those guys are incredible. Like, I was kind of expecting, like, Laurence Olivier. I really had no expectations, but I figured they'd be sort of fancy-pancy and kind of highfalutin, and they were, like, the bomb. They were so cool. They were so so intellectual and so smart and it was so much fun to have conversations with them but oh my god were they partiers they could drink they were like lots of fun we had a great great time but I remember there was this one key I believe or something some something I can't remember but one of the leading ladies wore on like a cord around her neck and tucked into her bodice and it was this key was like an important part in the show. It was like a ring that, you know, proved who she was. I can't remember. I'm sorry. But it was like a little pivotal part of the plot, okay? But, you know, the little bag that they kept the ring in was tiny but beautiful. It was all embroidered and like, but this very kind of 16th century tapestry type fabric. And that's the stuff. Like, that's the kind of thing. Like, when you get to that level of detailing where you paid that much attention to something, that is a beautiful that's a beautiful place to be. That's a beautiful thing to give to your performer. You know, it really is. It's really, really nice because it, it just, it, all we're doing is suspending reality. Like, you know, we're not actually vampires. We're not actually like nobles from the 16th century. We're just performers. We're just doing this thing. But when you can give them something to hold on to that's that minute and small, that kind of bridges the reality into the fantasy, it's a really nice, moment you know it's a really nice thing to have so um you know is it necessary to dye the fabrics with like root juice you know what i mean like i mean i was i was watching something on lord of the rings and there was these incredible tapestries that were hung okay i'm sorry i don't know all of the I don't have the vocabulary of all of the stuff but when they go to the land of the people the horses like the the Whatever the horse people No, not you, him. If he knows that, it just kills me. Go ahead. <laughs> I knew somebody would though. I knew you guys would but anyway, go to the Rohan, right? And there's you know, this is this is scene inside this golden hall and it's very beautiful and what you don't see but what is hung and there's no like panning across these beautiful tapestries. They're all woven. But that was what was so amazing is that, like, somebody, like, a whole crew of people were hired to dye the wool in, like, natural dyes made out of roots, like, beet and this mm. and that. And then they were woven to, like, like kind of like the bio tapestry, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of embroidery, that kind of, like, almost primitive style of telling the tales of great warriors of the past and, like, the horses and the this and then that of the past and and it was all hung, and it's just it just serves as background, but it's like beautiful. It's beautiful. It's stunning. It's an incredible amount of work, 
but it also just enriches everything. When you're you're completely immersed in that scene, and I think as a performer, you walk in, and it's like, wow, this is something going to be that. This is something really special. Yeah, this we're isn't here. just me putting on a silly costume, and yeah, like we have definitely crossed the threshold into an alternative world, and I can inhabit this world fully because I have, you know, the stuff I need to completely to well, merge who I am with this character, and that's. That's, I think it makes the, the, ideal, the you know? suspension of the actor's disbelief easier. Right. And that's yeah. important. So uh, I want to ask you about, it's kind of, we're kind of all over this, but the idea that how costuming can inform character and how, how an actor can use costuming to help him um, realize that character. It's those little things. It's the... It's the dirk. It's the dirk that um, I want to say Christopher Lambert carried that never made it an appearance on sure. um, screen, but he had mm-hmm. it because it, it was for him. It was a tie and helped him sort of inform the character. Right. So to you, I would ask. Um, number one, how how does that happen? And number two, how involved as a costume designer are you in that? Or do you completely follow the actor's lead, or do you have some sort of spin on the ball? Well, I mean, okay, I'm, I've certainly never worked on anything that's in the grand scheme of something like Lord of the Rings, but I remember an interview with Ian McKellen, and he was saying that, you know, he got to New Zealand, and he went to, like, Hobbiton, and saw that they had been there a year earlier building those sets, at the Hobbit sets, and then they left it for a year so that the vegetation would just grow naturally. That's so and bad. he was wowed by that. He was he was just like, I knew that this was going to be something really, really special. But also, when he put on the, the costume of Gandalf the Grey, like, he had it. That was it. Like, some people grow, you know, it depends on their, their method. It depends on the actor's method or the performer's method. It depends on, like, are they, you know, Stella Adler-like method? Are they somebody that just puts it on and goes? I mean, I, apparently Sean Bean is not a method guy. He's just he's just good. Like he's just a really good actor. He just puts it on and like boom, he he goes and then he leaves the character behind. Like like Gary Oldman is kind of infamous for like embodying that character, as is Daniel Day Lewis. Like they live that character for years and years not years, but for the, the, the period of the production. And you know, everybody's got their own thing. I mean I think that, that could I personally think that could be kind of exhausting to be around, but Sure. Whatever, you know what I mean? I'm not an oh, actor. Like, oh, I don't know, you know, but... Um, it's Wesley Snipes communicating via post-it note. It's like, <laughs> shut up. What? Well, during the, the filming of Blade Trinity, supposedly, he in, insisted everyone call him Blade, and he would only talk to people by writing what he had to say down on post-it notes. We've, we've, oh, wow. We've talked about the story before about Lawrence Olivier oh, and wow. Hoffman on... Uh, oh, yes. On the My dear Senate. boy, why don't you just try acting? Yes, exactly. I know that yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, really, really funny. I've <laughs> always appreciated. I've always appreciated uh, Juliet Lewis's take on acting. She says, "Acting is just lying." Yeah, it's just lying. Ah. <laughs> I say writing is the same well, thing. Yeah. I'm an elaborate liar, well, but, and the more elaborate my lie is, the more you believe it. Yeah, exactly. But you know, Viggo Mortensen said something really interesting, and I think that this is um, this is an important point. He goes, you know, he's a visual artist as well, so he paints. So he goes, you know, I have no control over how this is edited or what the final product is going to be. So all I can do as an actor 
is be a, sh- a certain shade of blue and bring the best blue I can be to that yeah. set every single day. And whether they choose to use my blue or not is not up to me. But I was like, you know what, that's pretty genius. Like that's, right. that's not only a humble but a very accurate way of describing like what an actor's like, which is why I think that film is a director's medium but stage is an actor's medium. Because every night, every performance on stage is just a little bit different. But yeah. you're bringing energy and you're taking energy off of the crowd, you know. Your audience brings a certain energy as well. And, like, your sure. co-stars bring a certain energy. So some nights are just zinging along. My God, like, the energy is palpable. And some nights it's like, oh, my God, when is this thing going to be over? You know, yeah, it, yeah, just, yeah. it really, it's hard. But, um, so, well, how me- much... Do I? Like, would a costume person bring? I mean, all you can... I, I think... I think it's important to listen to an actor. I think, if, you know, you can't just be like, no, 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 it's going to be my way. I mean, I like I said, I've never worked on anything quite as grand as Lord of the Rings, but I do remember um, working with a, a comedic character who was the sidekick of Captain Hook in Peter Pan. Uh-huh. And I designed Peter Pan way upstate New York on, like, a shoestring budget, and it was hilarious because it was so tragically, you know what I mean? It was so tragically, like, okay, and we have $5, and we have four days, and how are we going to make this work? You know what I mean? So It's like every production of The Evil Dead, the musical you've ever seen. (laughs) Right? Exactly. So so this guy was playing Smee, who was, like, the the comedic, like, buffoon pirate that's, like, Captain Hook's right-hand man, right? So I had these crazy pants that were like uh, like old harem style, you know, and uh, he was going to wear those. They were striped with some metallic in them, probably harvested from someone's disco, like, you know, like sure, disco sure. days, like personal collection. But he had that. He just he was like he was a short little fat guy anyway. And I remember he like he hiked his pants up. He's like these are so long, and he hiked them up to his chest. He's like this is funny. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's hilarious. Like I didn't even think that that would be a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I was just like, I don't know what I can do to make this guy funny, but then he just comes in and he hikes them up. He's like, Oh my God, these are huge. I'm like oh, genius. Like it was perfect. You know, I was like, yes, that's it. And he's like, really? And I'm like, Oh, it's perfect. And he was so happy because I was happy. You know, <laughs> we were like, yeah, This is it. This is me. Oh my God. And so, you know, we like, we buckled like a big belt around his, his like his mitt, like basically right around his heart was where his like belt was being worn. <laughs> it was like, you know, and, and like a sword belt and stuff and his little cap. And it was funny. It was really funny. And so that's, that's the thing where, you know, you just play around and let them just go and see. But sometimes they can go a little too far and you have to kind of pull them back like, okay, well, this is too much, too much. And then I've also had performers who were like, you know, I only look good in purple. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like but you're I'm playing sorry. Yeah. I'm going to go there and like these, these ladies that have been wearing black for too long because they were a little overweight and they just lost the 20 pounds. So now they're comfortable with a slightly lighter color, which is now purple. And you're just like, sweetheart, that doesn't, you know, it's just like, that's fine, but that doesn't fit the palette. Like, it's not just me. It's the lighting designer. It's the set designer. Like, we're all collaborating to make this world. And so if the palette is um, something close to... Uh, you know, Degas and like light pastel colors and everything's very light and very soft and very springtime. 
you really can't bring purple into it. Like, it's just like, I would love to accommodate you and your ego and your neurosis, but unfortunately you're an actor. And so you're going to have to like, just act your way out of this problem. Yeah. And it sucks. You know, you don't want to be the bad guy. You want to be sensitive to everybody's, you know, issues, et cetera. But I, call those I find at the risk of oh, pissing off at, at the risk of pissing off people, I call those people the Christian Bale people. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's one of those things. It's like, this is the 12th night, and you look like Lydia Deep. Right. <laughs> like, right. That doesn't make any sense from Beatles, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, there's, there's a reason, like, Waiting for Guffman was created. And, I mean, it really... <laughs> Waiting for Guffman really nails a lot of the, you know, tropes of... Sure amateur theater or like, you know, super duper regional itty bitty theater and that sure. you have people with massive egos and limited talent. I honestly feel like the more talented you are, the more humble and grateful for you are for all of the, um, the work that people put into sure. things, you Absolutely. know, like it, it's, it's, it really does boil down to a, a lot of ego issues, but nonetheless, you know, when you're a designer and you're charged with making this show happen, you just sometimes you have to be the bad guy. Like you can't, like I said, you can't be everybody's friend. Sometimes right. you have to just say, you know, this is this is your option. We narrow it down to from like twelve things to two things. Okay, so then I mean, I think it's always psychologically better to give people options. So you narrow it down to two or three things that you, as a designer, really want to work mm-hmm. for this character, and then you offer it to the actor. Like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? Well, I right. think that this. You know, and so if you give people options, they're less likely to feel like they need to fight with you about stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's, just, it's, a it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Ultimately, it comes down to, look, motherfucker, who went to school for this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just reminds me of... But it doesn't. It yeah. doesn't, you guys. That's the problem. I mean, they will fight you to the nail. And I mean, I had to stop actors going on stage wearing things that were not, you know, part of their costume. Like, I've actually had to remove a brooch from someone one time. I'm like, look, you know, it's not okay. Like, it's well, not okay guess, because I guess... I'm not telling you how to do your job. Like, I, I've been hired for this. And I, if you really felt like this was part of your character, then come to me. Like, I'm a human being. I will listen yeah. to you. Like, if you can... If you can tell me why you think this is important, go for it. But but don't just wear it out on stage. That's a complete slap in the face of all of my education and and the whole reason I was hired, you know? That's that's exactly what I mean, is that you have the training. Look, you're the costume designer, or you're the costumer, or you're the wardrobe person. You are the person... That's what that's yeah. what's great about company. I don't give you line readings. Don't, right. Don't exactly. fuck with right. my art. Right. Because right. That's, exactly. I think you hit it on the head. It's rude. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's it's complete professional disrespect. And I find that those people. Well, I mean, truly, that hasn't happened in a long time because mm-hmm. you know I, when I got out of regional and moved into professional, like New York-based professional theater, that stuff falls by the wayside quickly because you know no one. <sighs> How can I say you could you could wrap a line around the block of people that want to be in for a small role on a Broadway show? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, sure. And so if you behave badly enough, there's there, there are rules, there's consequences yeah. for that kind of behavior. Well, it's that it's that equation, um, it's, right? It's that on one side there's your talent, on the other side it's how big of a pain in the ass you are, and right. if one outweighs yeah. the other, yeah, 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you really have to be incredibly talented to be a huge pain in the ass and still have people want to work with you. Right. And you know what? I would, I would put up with a certain amount of pain in the assness if you're truly talented. But if you're not that good and you're super demanding, I don't really have the time. Like, I really don't. Sure. Like, it's, you know, it's I, just like, you know. I saw a thing on YouTube, which was essentially an actor coming in. I forget what the production was. But he came in, and they were, they were helping him pick his costume. And it reminded me of Gundam. Mm -hmm where they lay out all the four pairs of glasses for the would-be Dalai Lama, right? Uh -huh. He picks the one there. Right. And it was kind of like that, where it was like, here's five jackets, pick one. And then there's your, mm -hmm. there's your choice. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, your weapon of choice. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but again, that, that was allowing them to not only... You have your input, because I chose the five that you're choosing... But then you empower right. the actor to. Mm -hmm. you know, me, what would your character wear? And I think that's I think that's a great way to go. I mean, I really I think, you know, I don't I don't like the technicians of theater that always are like eye rolling, like oh, theater would be so great if we just didn't have actors. I'm like no, man, you know what? They don't <laughs> come to see our lighting design. They don't come to see costumes on mannequins. We're all here for one job, and you want to know what that one job is? Putting their butts in those seats. Right. That's the job, guys. Right. Like that, we we're here to make money, and that's the truth. Like that's the ultimate truth of any job in entertainment. And well, so people lose sight of that, and they get very wrapped up in like their ego and well, actors you know, need to blah, hear blah, it, blah. But you remember what Spencer Tracy said, right? Show up on time, mm -hmm. know your lines, and don't bump into the furniture. And right. they, and that's kind right. of your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. Um, right, right, right. You know, and you, I mean, I get it. Like, you have to inhabit the space of that person, whoever it is you're trying to portray. And that's not easy. That's not easy if, like, your mom's sick or you're moving or, you know, your dog got out that day or any any number of problems that are just, like, life problems that, you know, we all have to deal with. But we go home at night and deal with them. Like, they have to be on stage convincingly portraying someone that isn't them. Yeah. So it's yeah. you know it's it's a lot you know what I mean it's a lot and it's film too it's I mean a tough there's job. you know God only God only knows like it's there's a lot to do. I mean it's not you're not in a coal mine you know what I mean you're not like digging for diamonds or something but it's still it's it's, it's tricky because it's um it's well, intellectual the, the blowback it's, the blowback is more emotional to the actor I think because you you mm -hmm. you you spend um, I'm trying to think of a, a a good example as a as a play. Uh, like Les Mis, you spend six weeks, eight weeks, even longer inhabiting that role, regardless of your mood and your disposition that right. day. You got to come out there okay. and, and deliver, you know. And uh, or years, my friend. I mean, I yeah, worked on Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And the guy that was the Beast played the Beast for eight years. Wow. You know what? He put two two kids through college on that money. So you know, after a while, it's wow. like this is my day job. I make eight grand a week. You know, playing the beats on broad like eight thousand dollars. I don't know. I'm pulling that number out of my butt. I don't know how much the guy actually made. It might have been more. It might have been less. That's, that's a lot of money. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he he made a lot of money, and we, so it's yeah. worth it after a while. You figure out a way around the tedium because it's yeah. like, hey, I'm putting my kids through school, but it's also like it's also really fun and and an endorphin rush no matter what, and so. There is something beautiful about being a, a performer on in live theater. You know what I mean? Whether it's dance or, or you know, acting or singing, it's it's, it's beautiful. It's funny that you guy know, when, it's, 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 when his daughters wanted to go to college, uh, he said, mm -hmm. "Be our guest." 
<laughs> I wanted to ask you. I wanted to ask you, Laura. Do you have ouch. a preference? Ouch! Ouch! Uh, ouch! But yeah, probably. <laughs> do you have a preference whether uh, you have a preference as to whether or not you're doing something that's completely original, where you are designing the whole thing? Say, for example, the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tarsum's, uh, Tarsum's the fall, or or um, something that is like Lemiz, where you're like... You're uh, locked in. You're locked in. It's like, okay, I know what the parameters are. We have to fit this particular um, historical um, precedent. Which do you prefer? <laughs> okay, well, I, I, have a ca- I have a caveat to that question, and the caveat is, what's the budget? <laughs> yeah, you knew there's What's a pro the right there. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's it, baby. That's it. This guy, I met at a party. I was at a party last night, a birthday party for a friend of mine who's an actor, and I met his writer friend who's like talking about this play he wrote with a centaur on stage, and I'm like, he's like, I bet you'd love to, you know, to costume my plays, and I'm like, what's your budget? You know, and that's my first question is, is like, what's the budget? Like, I mean, honestly, if you have a shoestring budget, it's not going to be a good time because mm-hmm. it's just hardship figuring out, you know, how do you make this look um, good and, you know, accurate-ish well, to make a centaur I th- I on stage. I think it's interesting. I think you certain, know? Certain, certain departments need money, and I think costuming is one of them. Um, you don't want to scrimp or uh, skimp on your costuming. However, I do also feel like overall film productions – I've been on sets of, I was like, like AVPR and a couple of other things, and it's just money, leaking money. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like mm-hmm. a little smaller of a budget forces the filmmaker to be a little more creative. But you don't want to have to Great. burden your costuming department or your makeup department by, by you shouldn't be skimping there, is, I guess is my point. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's a tricky one because I've, you know, been approached by some folks in the, in my past who had really interesting concepts, but you know they expect you to work for free or they have no budget, but they have a little bit of salary for you. And I'm like, mm, I'm not 22 anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not 22. I'm not right out of college. I girls don't really gotta eat. Myself. I'm okay. Well, yeah, girls gotta eat, but also like my work deserves a certain standard, and if you don't have that, that's okay. You should go with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like dating. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like you know, it's, 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 I mean, I wish you well, but I don't think we're a good romantic match. And, like, sure. that's just kind of what you say. You took and, me and to that's Applebee's. the way it goes. <laughs> On our date, you took me to Applebee's. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, sure, it's, it's glorious to be able to define the look of a show any sure. show. It's a wonderful rush. Like, it's so exciting, but only if you can do it, and you can do it well, and right, that's right, right. the trick, well, I think. I don't think anybody wants to do shitty work, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't think anybody's out there like, yeah, I can't wait to do, like, total crap and shop at Kmart for this. I like, you know, suck. no, people want... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, nobody says that. But, you know, are there plenty of shows that have limited budgets and people pull miracles out of their butts? Sure. I mean, I worked on uh, a film that shall not be named, but um, it was one of the last films I did uh, before I left New York City, and it was 
you know, kind of low budget. I mean, and, and like I said, the designer uh, for that, I was wardrobe on that one. I did not design, although I was wardrobe and also the on-set um, seamstress. So I ended up making a lot of stuff I had no anticipation of making, including like demon wings and things, which was really fun, actually. I, I didn't anticipate having to do that, but it was kind of great, you know? But anyway, that, the designer taught me a lot in that she was willing to just call, cold call companies and say, I'm doing this movie. Mm-hmm. I need, I need, I'm really interested in having your stuff for this character. You know, can you, can you work with me? And she called the company called Hell Bunny. Have you ever seen their work at all? No. <laughs> it's I like, like, I like okay, the so name, they have, It's really, it's cute. It's cute and it's a little subversive. It's like polo shirts. But instead of a little polo guy, it's like a bunny head with a crossbones, like a skull, like a skull and crossbone, but it's like a crossbone underneath of it. And so it's all sort of like cute but subversive clothing, and it was perfect for this one character. And, you know, I really I had to admire our designer for her ability to do that. And that's, again, something it's like people think that, you know, a designer with all the corsets and all the crinolines and the fabulous I'm like no not really like there's a shop of people that build that sort of stuff and or a rental house like if I ever ever get enough money to go back to Italy I'm going to Rome and I want to go to Torelli Studios which is a massive costume house based in Rome and they have everything (laughs) they have everything and they have an incredible stock of everything because they've been accruing it for years like all of the beautiful, beautiful Visconti films that, you know, have this sumptuous, like, period production. Like, that's all Visconti Studios, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like the same as working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Like, those capes, those capes that we were putting on their actors as they were doing the best, they were, like, 20 pounds. You know, I'm running upstairs, and I've got, like, one cape over one shoulder and one cape over the other shoulder, and it's like, <laughs> upstairs, you know, and it's like, whoa, it's heavy. But there's freaking incredible i mean yeah. they're just insane takes, they're like the fur, but it's amazing yeah it takes the weight you know like that <laughs> yeah. no i mean I'm they sure. do, but they're just they're just stunning like that's the thing like you have you have european companies who really understand period stuff because that period stuff came from europe like we're a young country you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so Frankly, and I'm going to veer off into another subject. I'm just going to hit it really quickly, but I will say this. I have been fortunate enough to experience working with companies that are European and Australian. And I will say that a lot of things that come, you know, that are American, that are Hollywood and or Broadway based, a lot of the time it's a little bit like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox because... Our worldview is somewhat limited. And so when you have an opportunity to work with a dance company like Ballet Australia, who at the time is collaborating with like an indigenous Australian ballet company, and you're doing like a ballet that's a story of a myth of the Australian Aborigine you see a very, very different kind of costume. You see a very different use of, like, paint and mud and, like, body paint and paint into hair and, you know, 
gilding dreadlocks and I mean it's incredible it was I was blown away by how cool their stuff was there's no other word for it it was just so cool you know it was amazing and I'm I you know that those words are overused in current vernacular but I gotta say I was pretty amazed it was like wow this is far out and so unlike anything I've ever seen in America because you know we're a little we're, you know, we do our little thing and we're, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty or, you know, rain is or whatever, but it's a little, I don't know. I, I just We do that veneer. We, we do a lot of the same. Yeah. We do a lot we of the same. We do a lot same. of the same. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox mm-hmm. at times. And it's, um, it's really exciting to see a completely different vision. And so that's why, you know, things like Instagram and I'm not a huge social media person, but I'm trying to learn how to be because it's very interesting to see what some European designers and some European artisans are doing um, that completely blow the socks off of anything I've seen in this country. It is stunning what's out there, and it's um, it's really, really cool. You know, yeah. it's, it's really exciting because it's, it's not like it's anything completely new. Like there's nothing you know, to say. There's nothing new. It's just you know redoing something that already exists. But the way they redo it is absolutely fascinating to me, and and, and um, it's just a breath of fresh air. You know, right, it's right. really nice to see it. Let so me, it's, it's a good time. Let me ask <laughs> you as as we're wrapping up. Do you have a favorite, uh, whether it's whether it's stage or whether it's TV? not necessarily something you've worked on, but like that you look at and you go, it made your jaw drop. Like currently? Sure. Current production? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be current or past. Just in, what, what makes you go, oh, shit? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, um, like I said, you know, Australian Ballet and, and some of those companies doing like that indigenous people's, you know, mythos ballet it was really freaking cool and and something I'd never seen before. There's um, there's Vikings, which is a show that uh, is currently out. And something about Vikings I found fascinating. Okay, so you go back to like the old Johnny Weissmiller Tarzans, right? And you know, it's again like I was saying about you know stars needing to look really beautiful no matter what their situation is. So you have what, like Mar- Marlene O'Hara, whoever it was, that was Jane, and like Johnny Weissmiller, and nobody's dirty, <laughs> like everybody's totally clean, sure, sure. and her hair is in like a 30s Marcel wave, even though it's in the jungle, and she's in like a little, like, you know, like, you know, modest, but somewhat sexy for the 1930s, like fur outfit, and it's ridiculous, but it's cute, you know, but for that time, for those, for the audience of that time, it was completely okay. And now, you know, fast forward to Vikings, which is fascinating to me because they, you know, the costumes aren't particularly elaborate because it's, you know, pre, it's the Dark Ages. It's the Dark Ages and people were using natural fibers that they mostly wove by themselves at home or like bought from somebody in their village. So it's all kind of primitive, you know, very kind of utilitarian clothing. But what I love about Vikings is that there will be a close-up of somebody handling something, and there's dirt in their fingernails. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that is like, that's 
detail right yeah. there. You know what I mean? Right. The fact that they're showing, like, you know, different hairstyles, using all the braiding and this and that, that's, that's kind of fascinating to me. The fact that people are dirty and don't look beautiful. Sure. The fact that, like, the, the Norsemen use a lot of eyeliner to probably cut the glare, just like, you know, football players today use mm-hmm. a little bit of black sure, sure. into their eyes to cut the glare. So did Egyptians, you know? And, I mean, it's interesting to see that it's, you know, cross-referencing culture, this thing was used not only as a beauty tool, but mostly utilitarian. You know, it was mostly just a way to cut the sun glare. But you have characters like Flucky, who always wears kind of this black eyeliner. And it's a a cool character look. It's a good look, but it's also, it stems out of utility. It's not gratuitous. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be the pretty one, you know? Whereas you have shows like, I don't know, this British show called Robin Hood, and it was mostly like a family television show, but it's sure. terrible. Like, terrible, terrible, terrible. And, Had you know, cool very much... soundtrack. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Very much, like, the, the, the women were very much mired in, in current stereotypes of what is attractive, and so it's like lots of curled hair, lots of, like, pretty makeup. You know, it's just, again, you know, like, I mean, I, I admire the companies the production companies that are like producing Vikings that are saying, no, let's, we can do this well and we can do it the right way. Game of Thrones. I mean, my God, I would kill, I would happily kill someone to work on Game of Thrones. I really would. Like I would hope they would be a bad person because I'd really rather execute the evil, but I mean, I would kill anyone (laughs) to work on that show. I am blown away by Game of Thrones. With Game of Thrones, Blown away. if you were working on, on women's clothes, you know, half the time you don't have to work on anything because they're nude. Yeah, oh, so look at you. <laughs> so, hey, um, we, what I, are we I, concentrating on? <laughs> I, uh, I wish I didn't have to say this, but we're running out of time. Yep, yep, yep. Um, tell me and tell people who are listening how they can look at you and your stuff. Oh, my stuff. Okay, well. I have relocated from New York to New Orleans to open my own rock and roll clothing company for men and women. Um, so thanks for the thanks for the shout out. And it is Weapon of Choice New Orleans. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and you can find me on Facebook. The Etsy store and the website are coming soon. Yeah, so it's beautiful. Soon. Stuff. Very very cool. <laughs> You're so great. <laughs> I, mean, you I love you so much. You're so great. Yeah. You've been Thank just you. there a constant. <laughs> And I just know that life is good when I see Laura posting. Oh, <laughs> right. so well, sweet. Thanks, uh, you guys. It was thanks. lovely. It was lovely to chat with you both today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the Absolutely. show. Thanks so much for Thank coming on. So we are going to take a break, and we'll be back in a sec.
Okay, we're back. Um, that was great. Yeah, that was great. Absolutely. And it's nice. I think what's important about interviews like that is that there's a lot of salient information, but it's really good and helpful to aspiring artists sure. to hear the mindset and to hear like when you hear about someone saying like I can't do that because of your budget. Right. Um, that's important, and that's uh, I was going to mention it, but the idea of uh, that's one of the other signs of being professional is realizing that this is. I don't want to say beneath me, but it's. it's I've moved on from yeah, this exactly. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, going through news and stuff, a couple of deaths. We ended last episode with John Amplis. The very next day, both Romero and Landau died. Right. And if you go back to the John Amplis episode at the end of it, we talked a lot about that. But I did want so to bring sure. them up, yeah. that they were a pretty important thing. People are still talking about Romero. On my timeline yeah, yeah, yeah. in here, yeah. um, but also Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park committed yeah. suicide. Yeah, uh, I'm not a Lincoln Park fan. Known very little about the band. I know that he performed at Chris Cornell's funeral. He apparently him and Chris Cornell got kind of tight in the last few years, and uh, were buddies. Mm-hmm. And uh, how you know poignant and weird it is that he. Offs himself on on Chris Cornell's birthday. You know? Yeah, uh, and it just goes to show, you know, one more one more example of why it's so important to acknowledge um, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, in when when you start talking about like insurance and you start talking about healthcare and all that type of stuff, and it's it's incredibly important. Well, and I think that I assume that most of the people that are listening are creatives, uh-huh. and that is a real sort of uh, pitfall that every one of us faces. Yeah, the idea of the examined life becomes the over-examined life, sure. and then. And depression isn't far off. Right, right, right. And at n- whatever level of the game you're at, there's still that next level you want to get to. Yeah. And um, I can't imagine being in that position. I mean, you go from... I mean, I'm, Dean Martin used to talk about this, where he goes from performing in front of thousands of people... Right. ...to his dressing room, and then it's just him. And right. He's, he's he's still... Exactly. ...Dean Martin from, you know... From before. From before... But he also has that experience, right. and when you mix depression in that. That's where uh, depression's a bitch. A lot of people, like I've, I've, you know, there are a lot of people have been talking about Lincoln Park the last few days, and what I think what it's easy for people to forget is how huge they were for a brief moment in time, mm-hmm. and how that must fuck with people. You know, like where you're like, kind of overnight, you go from playing a club to. Mm-hmm. Stadiums, stadiums, and then you go and back. then it goes back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Yeah, and it's rarefied air because once you breathe it, you know, no air smells that exactly. way, or tastes that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another guy, an old character actor named Red West. Um, he's a face that if you see him, you'll go, "Oh, that guy." But what's, what was important about him was he was a member of Elvis Presley's posse. Ah. And you know there's got to be great stories. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, a guy no one knows. Harvey Atkin died. People know him as mostly as Morty from Meatballs. He was the camp owner. Right. And yeah. a great yeah. New York-based character actor. Yeah. Um, he passed. And then just today, 
It's so weird. Lately, I've been having, you know, are you ready for the summer? Yeah, yeah I love that. Stuck song. in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Meatballs is a great movie. <laughs> it's a funny movie, yeah. Um, and I'm not a How's comedy geek. It's fine. Well, if you, now, if you lose, <laughs> we cut it off. <laughs> yeah. And it's Bill Murray at his best. Yeah. But he was one, Atkin was one of those guys who would just show up, didn't call too much attention to himself in a scene, but always delivered, you know, movie helper. Yeah. Absolutely. And then John Hurd, who was in things like Cutter's Way, and he was in the Home Alone films. Right. Great, another great character actor. Yeah. Who never reached that huge level. No. Um, no. But, but, but he was somebody that, that, at least for a while, everybody recognized. Sure. I remember when Cutter's Way came out, he was it was a big deal. And yeah. I want to say he was in, wasn't he in The Deer Hunter? Possibly. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Don't quote me on that, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, uh, uh. Daniel Stern, who was also in Home Alone, um, right. just put up an like kind of an op-ed about his friendship with John and sure. and, and how that went. So they will be missed. Um, this weekend, everything is being dominated as far as news goes with Comic Con. Right. There's a ton of stuff coming out. I've only got a sliver of it, um, and some of the other stuff is going to be we'll talk about during trailers. Right. Um, Number one uh, came out that Noah Hawley, who is involved with Legion and Fargo on TV, right, is for Fox is doing a Doctor Doom film. Sure, okay. Okay. The question I have is: is without how do you do a Doctor Doom film when, and not have Fantastic Four? Right, exactly. So, but that's tied up in all this litigation. And the last thing, last Fantastic Four film. Tanked. Right, right, right. Um, it's so you know it's 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 a bummer. It's kind of like how I am with the Inhumans. It's like they you know the Fantastic Four was the the only comic franchise that I paid attention to as mm -hmm. a kid, other than the Inhumans because they were tied up with the Fantastic Four. Sure. And uh, it's been really sad to see how the Fantastic Four movies have they've never lived up to it. No. Oddly enough. In my opinion, the best thing about the the initial Fantastic Four films was Chris Evans as the Human Torch. Okay. And now that that's gone because he can't because right. he had that real sort of this is awesome kind of a feel right, to yes. it. Right. Um, yes. Uh, they did release a new trailer for this Inhumans thing, and it's incomprehensible. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. But <laughs> sure, okay. I'm kind of on board. I mean, it's going to do the same kind of numbers and stuff, I think, that you see in all of the, the Berlanti-verse, the Supergirls, the Flashes. Right, right, right. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Flash, uh, the, they titled the Flash film that they can't seem to get a script on, but they're calling it Flashpoint, which I'm imagining has something to do with... There's a series... Uh, in the series, there's a story arc called Flashpoint Paradox. That's important, in my opinion, because it's got a great thing. And the thing is, is that the Flash has changed the timeline. So the timeline that he is now in, mm -hmm. in the alley, in crime alley, right. uh, in Gotham, right. when Joe Cool shot the Waynes, he, in, as we know it, he shot Tom and Martha. In this iteration, he shoots Bruce, and it drives his parents crazy. Thomas Wayne becomes a Batman with guns. Right. And there's a great scene of Martha Wayne sitting at her vanity putting her makeup on and when she turns around she's the Joker. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking it. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I they're no further. They haven't said anything just except for the title. Um 
This is kind of cool. Rocco's Modern Life is coming back to Nickelodeon. Okay. So is Hey Arnold. So if you were ever, if you were a kid or even a preteen in like the nineties, right? This is, we're talking your language here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I look forward to it. Rocco's Modern Life was hilarious and way underrated. As, more underrated, I think, than things I like think, Zoom. And I that, think the know. only thing from that ilk that I really paid attention to was, um, uh, shoot, I can't remember his name now, but the Cowardly Dog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Courage. Little, yeah, Courage, the Cowardly Duck, yeah. where they this this old couple are living in this, like, freaking surreal, dolly yeah, 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 weird yeah. world, and this dog is constantly saving them, um, and no one realizes it. That know, he's the, the, the saving the Yeah. Funny that you mentioned that. I just, before we went on air, um, read an article that, for, for whatever reason, they exhumed Salvador Dali. And the, the headline I read, Salvador Dali exhumed mustache in perfect <laughs> his mustache supposedly is still at 10 and 2 sure which is awesome which is just awesome uh let's see um man do you remember do you remember the live cam thing that you could like watch like people in their coffin for like sure forever i, I don't loop. remember the name of it there was yet. a there was a there was a website that it was just someone laying there and it was a loop it would go on for yeah. like 30 minutes and you could see it go like the yeah 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 the tape glitch but because uh, you would go back years later and it was the same guy yeah you would think years later this would be how soon before that happens how yeah. soon before you mount a camera in a casket and you mount the monitor on the headstone right and so you can literally yeah, yeah. they do that at uh, Hollywood Forever where you they have kiosks that you can go to and you let's say your relative is in a spot A twenty mm-hmm. you type in A twenty. And a little video comes up with pictures and, like, a whole bio on the person. Right. And that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing great stuff, Hollywood Forever. Yeah. They're the ones that show movies on the side of the mausoleum sure, every sure. week. Um, let's see. Kino Lorber is releasing a five-film box set. This is going to probably fall on deaf ears on a lot of this stuff, but there there used to be a series of films called OSS 117. There's yeah. super spy movies, but right. all of them are coming out in a box set from Kino Lorber. That's cool. This isn't the remake by the guy who did The Artist, right. which is great. Um, These are the original films. Yeah, the Cairo one is great. The first one is really great. Mm-hmm. And the second one, it, it, it mugs a little bit too much. It's um, kind of... It's kind of the early, 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 early origins of, like, Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Firmly rooted in shit like the Man from Uncle movie. Sure, and yeah. Have you. Um, don't ask me why, but Warner Brothers is remaking Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Stop it. Why? Stop it. It's it's dumb. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand. Dying. There's nothing you're going to bring to the table that... Nope. They, they didn't do in the first time. They didn't do in that Daniel mm-hmm. Craig... Nicole Kidman movie. I forget, I forget which what it was which I hated that one. It was terrible. Yeah, I uh-huh. I did like the 1979 one, mm-hmm. the one with uh, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah, of yeah. course, the original is, well, is Kevin McCarthy cool. running through the the road yelling at people. Is yeah, just great. it's great. It's yeah. great. Carolyn Jones is in that first. It's one. always it's always struck me as funny because you can look at that movie in two different ways. You can look at it as kind of a Red Menace movie, mm-hmm. or you can look at it as uh, people striking back against the um, the uh, McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
Okay. And, and yeah, I can so, see that. So you could you could be on either side of the fence and get something from this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, where the, the the pod people are this or they're that. Right. And it all talks about the subversion of self. And right. All that other stuff. Um, they announced uh, big news. They announced this female Doctor Who. Right. Um, it bummed me out that within 12 hours... There were people, like, whining about it. Not only it. were they whining, but they had gone back into her filmography and found, you know, all actresses, as you go through your career, sooner or later you got to do nude scenes. Right. And they started plastering these nude pictures yeah, of her all over the place. Yeah, fuck those guys. And those I just don't get it. I, I mean, you know, I'll accept a Time Lord that regenerates and has a phone box that now has a pool in it, I hear. Uh-huh. Um, but I just can't get my head around a woman, <laughs> him regenerating into a Right, exactly. It's like, here's biology. this fictional thing that doesn't exist anyways, and now we're going to complain. It's such bullshit. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff. You're raping my childhood. When I hear that, I want to punch you in the I want to punch you, exactly. Because, come on. Yeah. Just come, I mean, it's so dumb. It's so funny, like, I hear people, I want to punch you in the dick. I don't want to punch him in the dick. I want to punch him in the face <laughs> so that it fucking shows yeah, up So later. they can see it coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you got to go to the bank with evidence of my fucking fist on your face, you <laughs> asshole. Yeah, you go to the bank. Is that Langley's ring on your forehead? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, let's see. Matt Michelson is in talks to be a villain in Doug Lyman's post-apocalyptic chaos walking. Okay. Uh, first, Doug Lyman did a lot of great stuff. He oh. did. Uh, uh, he just has a new movie out now. Um, he did Escape from Tomorrow or Tomorrow the Live Die Repeat. Right, right, whatever. right. Uh, post-apocalyptic chaos walking, and people are going to be noticing it because it stars Tom Holland, who's Spider-Man, right, and Daisy Ridley, who is in the in the Star Wars thing. Okay. Um, Mads Mikkelsen in anything. Sure. Is it's, the shit. It's great. Yeah. If you haven't seen Valhalla Rising. Dude, Valhalla Rising. Go see that. Also, his pusher. The way, him I would, in the, I would in say the that Valhalla Rising is Reffin's uh, most watchable film for me. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized that it's essentially Dante's Inferno. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But uh, uh, that the first Man, fight that scene first was, That first segment one, is just like badass. Yeah, it's just great. First time I saw it, I hadn't seen the movie yet, and I was just like, oh! <laughs> this is so up my alley. Um, I'm going to save that for the last one. Uh, Shaz- they j- talked today about Shazam being the next DC film in production. What Rock is playing Black Adam. You don't care about any of this. I stuff. don't. But The Rock's not going to be in it, so they're going to they're going to launch two Shazam, essentially two Shazam films. Shazam with Billy Batson as the kid, uh-huh. but also Captain Marvel with a, the woman Brie Larson is going to be Captain Marvel. Okay. It all falls under that. Underwear on the outside stuff. Right. So we'll skip that. I don't care. Um, Nerve and Paranormal Activity directors Ariel Schulman and Henry Joost are doing a Mega Man film based off of the video game. Okay. Sure. I guess. You know, I guess. <laughs> What's next? Load Runner, the film, the movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it other than it plays on those nostalgic heartstrings yeah. pretty well. Okay. All right. Alright. Uh, this is interesting. Dan Harmon, who did Harmontown, and he's got a couple shows on um, 
uh, Adult Swim, super funny guy. Yeah. Harmontown is great. Is developing a series for the TV based on Kurt Vonnegut's um, Sirens of Titan. Okay. It's a great book. It is a great book. Anytime we can get Vonnegut on screen, sure. I'm down. Harmon being involved leads me to believe Odd. there's some comedy yeah, yeah, yeah. in there somewhere. Uh, despite its opening weekend, Luc Besson has two more Valerian sequels planned. Okay. Does I, he, I still haven't seen this movie yet, and I really, really want to. Even though the shitty reviews that are coming out makes me want to see it more. Yeah, exactly. You I'm know? just like, oh, like... Because I'm willing to bet modern reviewers, a lot of that shit went right by. Yep. And they... And without the historical context of, dude, no, we're it, not ripping them off; they ripped us off. Exactly. These these the graphic novels that this is based on is from 1968. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like John Carter. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. you people have no lot fucking of, idea. A lot of, from what I can tell, a lot of Star Wars as far as mythology goes in there. Sure. A lot of Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those cityscapes in that trailer are fucking dude, crazy. I, you know what? It, it, at this point, from the stuff that I've seen, I really don't care what the story... I just, just show me these pretty pictures, because yeah. they are gorgeous, yeah, 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 and yeah, I want to yeah, see yeah. And it looks like every frame is that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Hugh Jackman cast his scar in The Lion King. Okay. It means an afternoon <laughs> in, with him in a voiceover. Yeah, movie. he's like talking into it's a It's all microphone. that CG, John yeah, Favreau, Jungle Book right. stuff. Yeah. Um, Having said that, I am looking forward to War of the Planet of the Apes, which I still haven't seen. A lot of people have, have already yeah. gone and seen it, and and I've not heard one discouraging word. Uh, Mark Bernardin on Fat Man on Batman put... He liked them in order 2, 3, and 1. Okay. So that's kind of where we're at. Okay. Everyone seems to really enjoy 2. He, like, he really enjoyed 2. 2 was I great. Have, I have it over here. I haven't watched it yet. They're, they're, they're all good. Uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of movies where that are t- playing those heartstrings, Andy Machete, who's doing that It thing, yeah, that It. He first of all, he was in, it was announced that he's doing It too, which I guess I guess the splinter is that the first It tells the story of the the what are they called the something gang. Oh, the the the, the kids. The, the kids. Yeah, yeah. First film is all about the kids. Right. Second film is all about them the as adults. adults. Right. Yeah. Okay. Splits it up, which is interesting and fun. With, and God damn it, that clown looks. Yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Skarsgård looks, looks yeah. like badass. Looks like, really good. Yeah. Um, I hear great things. Joe Hill, um, you know, granted, he should he's, know. He's probably biased, but yeah. he's like, this is like one of the scariest five movies I've ever seen. Wow. And Joe would know. Joe, I'd love to get that guy on here. Because yeah. that guy, I mean, just the idea of de- deciding to be an act, a writer when your dad is how the tough, most yeah, important writer how in the tough world. Would that be? That's like Brandon Lee deciding that you're going to be an action, you know, a fight, you know, yeah. a kung fu guy, right? Yeah, yeah. How intimidating. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, let's see, two more. Um, Carla Gugino, who was in Sin City, right? Um, she goes. She's been cast in an unspecified role in Netflix's Haunting of Hill House. Okay. She's a solid actress. Yeah, she's as great. As long as they stick with the book, I'm kind of down. Yeah, sure. The more Absolutely. I think about it, the more I. Um, 
as long as as long as we stay in Robert Wise territory mm-hmm. and we don't go to Jan de Bond. Right. The best thing about the two things are great about Jan de Bond. Number one, uh, his his version of Haunting of Hill House. Number one, the house. The house is the beautiful. House is fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. Catherine Zeta Jones as Theo in knee high boots. Yeah. Makes Tom very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that. And then finally, dude, Ron Balicki and Diana Lee Inosanto, um announced that they're doing a Dan Inosanto dude, film. Dude, I, I, it's like, I remember when, when the book on Dan came out, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my God, you know, yeah. I'm like, finally, somebody's like, and then it kind of just like, you know, like, you know, people who had JKD schools were the only people who bought copies of the book. Yeah. And like, people need to fucking know, yeah, right? Yeah. You know? I just read an article about why Dan Inosanto is the m- most important martial artist of all time. And I agree. And I agree. I agree. More than Bruce. Yeah. Because he's, he's had longer to develop right. that legacy. Had Bruce been around, maybe different. Be the, yeah, exactly. I've always long, and, and this is a could be a topic for another time, but, you know, I'd love to hear what Bruce had to say about MMA. Yeah. Because it was exactly what he was... What he was doing, yeah, exactly. Um, But the one thing that has me scared is they kind of, all the articles I read on this, they focused on, I guess he he helped out a football team. Well, yeah, uh, so Dan was hired um, to help the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if that's the story they're going to tell, okay, cool, that's the story they're going to tell. And it'll be just a tiny segment of what, He's really contributed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'd love to see a bio on him, though. No. And you know what? You're doing every fucking half-baked... This new Bruce... Oh, my thing God. That horrible. thing just pisses me off. It's fucking It horrible. pisses me off as much as the fucking Dragon movie pissed me off. I'm like, <laughs> fuck. Yeah, you're not even close to getting this right. No. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. And it pisses me off even more. That it was sanctioned by the family. Yeah. So it's like, it all the, it all centers the new this new Bruce thing centers on the Wong Jack Man fight, man, and Wong, it just seems like Mortal Kombat. It is. It's stupid. Yeah. Wong Jack Man didn't come from the fucking Shaolin. It's it's so <laughs> stupid. I There's just, a great book out there. It just pisses on me it. off. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember the title about the. It, it, it's about this fight, very fight. Right. I forget what the title. Don't is. Forget, don't get me wrong. It was an important fight. It 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 it, it resulted in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. But it doesn't deserve. I don't know that it deserves. First like, of all, third act climax. No. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> kind of and thing. and I hate the uh, presentation of Bruce by this by this actor. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the actor's a fine actor, but like. He was just on Conan O'Brien, stop, and it was embarrassing. Stop, stop mimicking the stuff that Bruce did in his movies. Yeah, That's yeah. not what... Uh, well, I wonder if part of the audition process is, is do the... Do the do the thing. The, the yeah. voice thing. Yeah. and Do the thing with your but fingers. But you know what's amazing is that there is a bunch of these things. Yeah. A bunch of these Bruce bios that have been being made in... Well, in there was that series, right? That, that a lot of people actually say is pretty good. I've not seen them. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. I want to say the, the the Birth of Bruce Lee or The Legend of Bruce Lee. Yeah. or uh, the Birth of Bruce Lee is, this, I think, is the... Yeah, Birth of the one. Dragon. Birth of the Dragon. And, um... That, uh, <laughs> Birth of the Wait Till Netflix. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just stop it. <laughs> stop it. Moving on to trailers, 
we got a ton of them because of this Comic Con thing. So we're gonna right. go through pretty quickly. Um, we'll start. I let's just because we just talked about this. Um, they released the trailer for Ready Player One. Right. Bruce. Uh, Bruce. Uh, Steven Spielberg directing. Sure. And holy shit. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm in. Okay. It looks crazy. Me, I mean, to me, it, I, I, because I didn't partake of a lot of the, um, um, I don't know, video game culture that happened in the, in the 80s and the mm -hmm. 90s, um, it, it just doesn't resonate with me. But I understand that it does with a lot of people. Yeah. There's this huge nostalgic factor. We have huge. We have characters from appearing other IPs, out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah that, that Iron Giants in the trailer. Freddy right. Krueger's in there for a second. Yeah, you know. And, and I get it. I get it. It's cool. Uh, it's just not my thing. Yeah, I wonder. Well, friends of mine have read the book, and they say the book's great. So I'm optimistic. Um, and then uh, they released this this afternoon um, a new Justice League trailer which we looked at i have no idea what's going on everyone looks cool um the one thing i i thought and i said to you when we were watching it is just look at the money right it's just money skating yeah, yeah, yeah. off the tr off the screen right um i will say jason momoa looks cool i think this is he's gonna walk away with this movie sure yeah he's gonna be the he's gonna be the the, the guy that people are like oh shit yeah um I was talking to you earlier that I, I used to watch the Justin the Justice League um, cartoon on Saturday mm -hmm. mornings when I was a kid, and uh, the 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 one episode that stands out in my mind that I really really enjoyed was the one where Plastic Man had a guest appearance and he had to like reach his hand through like this long intricate tunnel of tubes to get. I, I think a rat or something out of sure. this machine. Or something. Well, when you when you start with Plastic Man, man, dude, Plastic Man is the shit. I like DC there's, DC Comics heroes for me. Plastic Man. Yeah, there's been talk. There was a Plastic Man TV show for a while, and there's been talk about a sort of a Justice League with that caliber of character. Sure, sure, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I think it's going to make a shit ton of money. I think all if you're into the Marvel films and the DC films, you're going to lap this up with a biscuit. Right. But and if Harold and Maude is your thing, you're you're going to hate this. <laughs> Although it, there's cool shit, there's parademons, there's all of this stuff. There's uh -huh. the Flash being a viable character for once. This okay. Ezra Miller guy seems to be, you know. So we'll sure. see. Uh, let's see. I, and and the uh, uh, the appearance of we don't know what what we're gonna assume is Superman. After oh, it's he's totally died. Superman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you know it'll be one of those things. Uh, I also hear that from Comic Con they were talking about this Infinity War Marvel thing, and we're gonna get off this superhero stuff in a minute. But thank um, God they just say that it's <laughs> it's in, insane. Like. Anyone who's ever appeared in a Marvel film is in this thing. Okay. And it just looks, you know, other than like, hey, look, it's that guy. We'll see. So it's like Abbott and Costello meet all the <laughs> monsters. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, let's see. Running around here. Um, they released a trailer for Ava DuVarney's Wrinkle in Time. I, 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 it looks cool. I don't know what's going on. I, I didn't read Wrinkle in Time. It didn't resonate with me as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't know the first thing about it. 
other uh, than what I've been shown in this film trailer. Yeah, and what you're shown is is uh, Oprah with bedazzled eyebrows right. and a weird this crazy Yu-Gi-Oh hair. Yes, um, but it's got uh, what I didn't women see, of color in, in, in roles. Sure, sure. And, what I didn't see that I saw as a kid when I looked at the cover was this flying centaur. Yeah, they may be holding that back. Okay, but it's Ava DuVernay, and she, she's. I don't get it because the trailers all. From the visionary director, Ava DuVernay, I'm like, she did Selma. (laughs) And I don't know that that really counts. And she did that 13 documentary on the prison system. If if nothing else, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think it will be. And I think, again, nostalgia. People who read the book are going to love it. Absolutely. They're going to get to introduce it. Star Wars. They can introduce it to their kids. It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like the Golden Compass. Yeah. Like... I didn't read that shit when I was a kid, but apparently somebody did. Somebody en- did. Enough that they made a movie out it's of it. The, it's all of that. The Divergent yeah. series, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Somebody's reading it, and somewhere yeah. there's a fan base. It means something to somebody. Uh, let's see. Let's keep with some good stuff. Um, Pacific Rim 2. Okay, Pacific Rim 2, I'm excited about because it's Del Toro, mm-hmm. and I like the first he's Pacific producing. Rim. Oh, he's not directing. He's not directing. Oh, okay, okay. Um... This trailer isn't really a trailer. It's a viral marketing thing. It's a recruitment like, video. Join the Jaegers. Yeah, exactly. It, it reminded me kind of of uh, the um, the things that we saw in the, in in the midst of the film. Um, Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah, I was going to just yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. Starship Troopers. And it reminded me a lot. Of it, there's nothing in there that gets you excited because you're not getting full on the full on CG that you're going to see in the movie. You're getting like this kind of cartoon version because it's yeah. a commercial. Sure. It's a, it's a it's a commercial. It's a recruitment commercial. So okay, I I for me, just the promise of more Pacific Rim is good enough. Mm-hmm. This thing didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I like the world. I'm kind of pre-bought in. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 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 I I'm interested. It's nice to see that you know. Hey. Something's going on. Something's going on. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, uh, Birds be Bear. This is a film Kevin Smith's been pushing really hard. Dude, uh, kind of like a, a movie that we talked about last week, a trailer that we talked about last week. It's like it looks so quirky and weird mm-hmm. and just unusual that I, I'm on board. Like, yeah, it yeah, looks I, fun. Um, Kevin Smith posted a video of himself watching the ending and blubbering like a two-year-old sure uh and i can see that i can see where it's that type of movie yeah. where very t- much about inspiration and right you know mark hamill's in it yeah and a couple uh of for folks who haven't cut the trailer it, it, from what i gather it's a guy that's read a really 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 sheltered life mm-hmm. um maybe on the spectrum i don't know um and he really likes this cart this this not show cartoon, or whatever this show this kid's show and uh, that's kind of what he's all about, and he's kind of brought out into the world, and then who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know that it's been uh, Mark Hamill plays his dad. Okay. And there's cool. a lot of God. I just flashed in a movie that I want to say John Cusack was in about a he had a special kid, and it reminded me a little of that. Okay. But it's very quirky, a little bit of blast from the past about fish out of water right exactly. look at me in this big world yeah 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 um, but I'm in uh, let's see speaking of Del Toro Shape of Water holy holy shit fuck, right man I'm just like oh, 
Dude, and it's funny because it wasn't it wasn't something that you heard a lot about. I mm-hmm. think I saw one article about Shape of Water prior to this trailer coming out. Dude, oh my god. It looks good. It, it looks so good. It looks like it looks like Del Toro mm-hmm. and Junet. Yeah. Like married together. Absolutely. It's got this story, but it's also got this this feels like Pan's Labyrinth yeah. in a weird way. Oh, it, it, it looks gorgeous, and um, and I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say, is this Abe Sapien's origin story? Thinly disguised. Wow, I never even thought of that. Like, like you know, we've got this aquatic creature mm-hmm. that's been looks a lot like by, Abe Sapien. Looks a lot like Abe Sapien. It's been found by the government. He eats eggs. Like, yeah. If if you're in that world, if you're in that Magnolia world at all, and there's also people talking about, you know, like Del Toro was talking about for a long time doing a creature from the Black Lagoon story. Mm-hmm. This is exactly how you do it because yeah. creature from the Black Lagoon, as amazing as that creature um, design is, is not. There's not much there as far as a film, mm-hmm. right? He's like he's crawling around in the water. This kind of feels a little more like Return of the Creature than Creature from the Black Lagoon. Right, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, anyway, it looks amazing. It's got, um, what's her name? Um, I didn't recognize anybody. Octavia. Um, Butler? Uh, I can't I remember know. now. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, the little, well, the main character in it is the little girl from Kronos. Really? Yeah. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, wow, yeah. wow, wow, yeah. wow. Um, that's very cool. The guy that's narrating it for us, you know, uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, people, uh, genre fans will remember him from Cabin in the Woods. Mm. He was one of the two main... Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wasn't he the guy that played the dad on Six Feet Under? Oh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. It looks great. It looks fantastic. It's Del Toro. Uh, it looks like a weird modern fairy tale. Man, yeah, I'm, it looks great. I'm so on board. Uh, let's see. Um, we're gonna go off a little bit and say um, I'm trying to balance these out. Bushwick, the new Dave Batista thing. Uh, actiony, kind uh, of sci-fi-y in a weird way. Very actiony. Uh, you know, I guess the the, the story is, is that there's some paramilitary presence. that's just like taking over and mm-hmm. just killing people and, and these people are trying to, to survive. Hide and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I you know, I mean if you're if you're into that kind of thing, if you're into like watching people run around with AK forty sevens and subways. <laughs> well it's going on it's it's in my queue. It's gonna stay in my queue. Sure. I don't know that I'm gonna run out and see it just this. it looks like a lot of other stuff to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh speaking of Dave Batista, he has Dave Batista plays Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. But he's in the new Blade Runner. Yeah, and that new trailer looks great. The I'm excited. I'm I'm I was excited when the first trailer came out. I'm even more excited now because now we're getting some context. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that um, uh, the the Harrison Ford character uh, Deckard is is has been in hiding mm-hmm. for whatever reason. We don't know, right. and we you don't, don't see any Rachel, which is interesting. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't know if um, not too much is given away as far as like is Deckard a, a replicant? Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is. Um, is all you know is that people are a bit have been after him, and it's a big fucking deal if he's found out. Right. And um, it all looks great. The the 
the acting looks good. The, the visual the, sense is beautiful. Oh my god! All yeah. the costuming is great. Yeah. Uh, I love. Even, I, I, and I don't know if they're going to do this in the film or not, but I, I hope to God they do. They're using some of the same uh, original music. music. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. big. I would. I think. I don't know why they wouldn't get Vangelis to do it again. But. What I'm so excited about is that scene with Dave Bautista. Is 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 a scene that um, Hampton uh, Fancher had written. Uh-huh. Um, for the first originally, one? Originally, yeah. For oh, the, wow. For the first one, where where uh, it was uh, uh, Deckard just coming up on this house, and this guy's like, you know, in there making soup. I remember Hampton, like, just freaking out about, there's soup on the stove, and it just, like, <laughs> blew his mind. But but it's really cool that they're, that they're, that Hampton yeah. is, is involved in this. And, and it just feels like, this is, it, I'm going to love this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm so on board. Uh, let's see. A uh, documentary called Fade to Black, so in my wheelhouse, talks about the right to die. Sure, and and the, um, uh, I guess commotion that it caused in Australia, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, it looks it looks it looks fantastic. It looks uh, fascinating, and it looks horribly depressing. Right, and yeah. it also I think it also sort of brings it does what documentaries are supposed to do. It sort of shows you a side of things that is factual. But also is way outside of your experience right. level, and, yeah, and yeah, hopefully yeah. you can get some empathy out yes. of it. Um, yeah, I'm kind of on board for that. Uh, again, I you know it'll probably play at the local art house, but this right. may be something I just wait for. Right. Um, running out. We're running out. The snowman with Michael Fassbender looks like a serial killer thing. Yeah, serial killer thing. It. I really got a uh, when when I was watching it, I'm like, this is like a modern seven. Yeah. yeah, it feels like that, and it feels like it's the girl thriller. with the gra- dragon tattoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it it feels like um, a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but if you're in the mood for that kind of if thing, if you're in the mood for a good thriller, this yeah, looks good. This looks solid. Yeah. Uh, Leatherface. For the uh, roots doing a Leatherface thing, I don't understand it. Well, it's you know I'm not the fan that a lot of people are. Where's Heather when we need her? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> But for for people who are fans of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of all the stuff that's been remade and redone and 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 stuff, this looks to me to be the most solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels it, like there's a real story there. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. it feels like it just feels like better filmmaking than than a lot of yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the franchise. And who knew? I mean, they this is something that's every. It's like the town bicycle. This story, everyone's taking it out first. Right. Time, but, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Kingsman Two. Um, sure. Yeah. Why not? It looks I, fun. It looks fun. It doesn't look as good as the first one, in my opinion, because it looks. It looks to me like it suffers from what the Hobbit suffered from. It's like, oh, we can do anything. Yeah. And so we do anything. And <clears throat> a lot of stunt casting in this one. Yeah. They're trotting out everyone from Channing Tatum to uh, Jeff Bridges yeah. to. Uh, the stunts look cool. There's a car stunt that looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was most excited about uh, some gunfight that was going on. Uh, that reminded me of the church scene in the first Kings. Yeah. I'm really interested to to see Colin what Colin Firth's uh, yeah. character's role is because I get the sense he's a bad guy yeah. now. Like and I really like Mark Strong. He's Mark good. Mark Strong's in always good. Yeah. Always good yeah. in everything. I was. Th- Mark Strong and uh, what's his name Stanley Tucci. Yeah, I kind of think of like yeah. sometimes yeah. I confuse them. 
and yeah. they're both really good, but they're both very different. Very, very different. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But physically, they're similar. Yeah, yeah. And he's and he's solid and just he's another one of those that movie helper yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's see, two more. Um, Professor M and the Wonder Woman. Holy shit, this is, I'm so much more excited for this movie than I am Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It looks great. And it talks about things in a time period that just weren't talked about. Right. Well, so one of the things about the Wonder Woman comics, and this is, uh, this has been commented on before, is the amount of, um, BDSM stuff that's going mm -hmm. on in the comics. And this speaks to that, and it speaks to um, uh, it speaks to polyamory. Mm -hmm. It speaks to without that word because that word exactly didn't exist this, exactly yeah 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 yeah. Um, it I think they usually just call that greedy. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of um, in a weird way the, the 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 movie that popped up in my head when I was watching it was um, uh, Henry and June. Yeah. Yeah, I'd see that. I could see that. And where you're examining this complex relationship between these three people, mm -hmm. and uh, holy shit, I like this is a movie I want sitting on my shelf. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks well made. It looks well acted, and it deals with something that I'm willing to bet even most Wonder Woman fans didn't even probably even know yeah of. probably not. And yeah. I like the idea that it, it uh, without it being salacious, it addresses what we're going to umbrella call alternative lifestyles. Right. They're not seen as freaks or they're not seen as degenerates or anything else right. that that Hollywood m moral board can impose. Right, right, right. This looks more like, more straight up. Like, this is yeah. this is just who we here's, are. Here's, here's what here's we do. Here's the real and, shit. And, and yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that's why, more than anything, I think that's why that it also I mean, It also speaks to me because I'm such a sucker for things about... Um, not not necessarily Hollywood, but just like what was really going on, mm -hmm. you know. It's the saving Mr. Banks thing, right? Exactly, saving Mr. Banks. Um, Hollywood Land, which is not a yeah. fantastic movie, but I yeah, yeah. love it because of what's going on. In Someone it, right? pointed out something funny to me um, about Hollywood Land. Hollywood Land stars Ben Affleck, right, and Diane Lane. Who later went on to be Batman and Superman's mom. Yes. Exactly. So in the end. Batman was banging Superman's mom, <laughs> and I like I like the look of that. Um, yeah, I th I just I'm I'm on board. I don't know. Again, if it's plays the local art house, I'll go. I I don't think you're going to see it at the multiplex this film. Right. Um, but it'll definitely I'm I rolled out. I'm definitely buying this film. Yeah, and then finally, um, they released a trailer for this Will Smith thing, Bright. It's the yeah. new David Ayer film who did uh, Suicide Squad. I, I, what I what I was unable to glean from watching it is it a series or is it a movie? It's like a Netflix thing. So I think it it may be a movie. I want to say it's a movie. It's a movie. Um, I'm sure fans of uh, Once Upon a Time and Grimm, that type of stuff, um, Wicked, where we're taking fairy tales mm -hmm. and mixing them into this modern urban atmosphere. I agree. Take I, that and add Alien Nation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James yeah because he's having to, yeah, he's having to yeah. hang out with Partner his with this, yeah, or whatever he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah for, sure. For, I, I definitely see the audience for it. Um, I think it, you know, it looks fine. It's, it's not my thing, um, but I know somebody's going to love this. 
Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it plays right into that whole thing that, you know, Will Smith has sort of veered away from that, but it veers into that whole Men in Black kind of action-y, comedy Right. He's a cop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you, I mean, as you can see, there's a ton of stuff, and I, I cut off this uh, you had earlier. Thirty some trailers. There was thirty-five trailers this time, and then I've already got another ten today from right. just from Comic Con, and some of it's good, but we'll go over all that stuff next week. I I, I really hope that this isn't like, um, and I don't think it will be because every year I think this is like, oh my god, this has to implode, mm-hmm. right? That like the just keep spending more and more money and and they keep you know quote unquote underperforming and it's like well yeah when you make a movie for you know a billion dollars how many people how many tickets do you have to sell to for to not only break even but make a profit you know right it's it's this 200 million bullshit yeah and that's why I'm so excited whenever I see something like The Void which cost under a hundred thousand dollars, right? And yeah, is it giving you the spectacle of like this big Hollywood blockbuster? No, but it doesn't need to. I'm really excited by this company A24 mm-hmm. that's been putting out stuff uh, that are very small, quirky, more character studies, and they're not shying away from genre. There's genre stuff in there, absolutely. Um, but it's you know they're not. They're not using ILM or Weta to make their effects, um, so I, I, I'm really uh, I'm really excited for the trailer that came out for the Disaster Artist. Oh yeah, the the, the room thing, you know. Yeah, uh, James Franco. I know you don't get the room, um, but how cool is it that we're seeing? Uh, and I, I and 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 I've not read the book. There's a book called The Disaster Artist. It was one of the guys that was on the. On the movie, movie. Uh, the, yeah, uh, the the room, and uh, James Franco kind of kind of pulls it off. Kind of, d- at least in that scene that we see, he's like he he's kind of looks as weird as that guy. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Have you seen his other film, Tommy Wiseau's other film? It's a horror film. No, I saw he did a TV show that was around for like a second, and. Uh, Gives that guy money. I don't know, you know. Well, I think I think that that time has passed. I think finally people are kind of like, all right, this. Yeah, these these are terrible. This is a one-line joke that like was unintentional in the first place, Mm -hmm. and I don't think we can milk any more out of this guy. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Moving on to recommendations. Have you seen anything good? Um, have I have I watched anything? I don't think I've watched anything. We we. You know, at our house we rewatch stuff. Mm. Um, and yesterday we watched um, the Golden Child. Yeah, yeah, the Golden Child um, with Eddie Murphy. Sure, kind of doing his. Saw that in the theater back in the day when it first <laughs> came out. And uh, I'm always excited to watch the Golden Child because of the. Uh, well, first of all, Charles Dance. Yeah, he's great. It's great. Yeah. Uh, fans of Game of Thrones. Charles Dance. Charles Dance yeah, back yeah, in the day, yeah, yeah. watch the Golden Child, um, and uh, I love the the um, ILM stop motion stuff at the end, mm-hmm. the, the, that Sodom Ninsby turns into 
Right. It really makes it, I mean, it, it, it makes me want to watch, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. And it, it, it's got it's that It's not feel. nearly as, I mean, it has a reputation of being pretty bad, but it's not, it's not nearly it's as... Not, it's not a horrible film. Yeah. It's a, I mean, for God's sakes, if I can watch Beastmaster again, <laughs> you certainly have time for it, The Golden Child. Right on. Uh, anything else? No. All right. Uh, I'm just going to mention a couple things. Go to my website for what I've been watching mostly. But number one, um, Hercules in the Haunted World was, was great. Mario Bava. Right. Fucking right, amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do want to mention is uh, um, Netflix funded their two comedy specials. They're each 45 minutes. Uh, together, they're called Ari Shafir Double Negative. First is on children and the second is on um adulthood and Ari's one of those journeyman comics and it's a great stand-up set uh it's funny talks about a lot of stuff um everything from why he doesn't want to have kids to him going to Thailand because he he felt like he needed to have sex with a lady boy and he tells that story okay and it's hilarious it's hilarious um and then um i think that's it do you have any records you're listening to and we'll move on um yeah um i went back and revisited um uh the woodbox gangs the woodbox gangs um trash can americana okay uh the wood spot the wood God, why is that so hard for me to say <laughs> the woodbox gang is a was a um uh, a local band from where I used to live in Southern Illinois. Um, I know some of the guys in the band, and I can't. I, I and I include like Pink Floyd in this. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another band that, when I saw them live, was more of a religious experience. Wow! Like a transcendent. It's like holy shit, you know, kind of experience. Wow! Um, and this is this. As I recall, this is like right up your alley. It's a Absolutely, this is this is like yeah, this is straight up Southern Gothic Americana. It's like yeah, and um, there's a couple of songs on this album that are just that are just jaw dropping. Um, first one uh, off the top of my head is Termite, which is uh, the, uh, the Termite song, which is one of the most haunting things and most ridiculous things you'll ever hear. Where it's 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 a termite singing to you, oh, wow. and it is haunting it's haunting so for somebody to be able to do that to take this ridiculous premise and and turn it into a song that you just kind of really makes you feel mm-hmm. i think that that's amazing um the uh, showdown is on there which is an, an amazing song um there's a song on there called um is on can you can people find it on youtube i i think so i think they can find they can find um they can definitely buy it um, it's called Trash Can Americana. It's the Woodbox Gang, um, and in particular, look for this one song called um, "Storm Blowing Slowly." Um, when I was working in a prison in Southern Illinois, I'd hear this song, and it would it would make me tear up, like I'd cry. Wow! Uh, it, it's it's intense. So definitely, if you get a chance, check that out. Um, that's the album that I wanted to talk about. Right time. on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Last night, don't ask me why, but I threw on Seely Dan Asia. Man, it fucking holds up like a Dude, champ. That that album, holy shit, 
that is a great album. They get a lot of shit for being, you know, like the prototype math rock band. Right. And they're all studio musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God damn, that's a solid record. That's such. It's so good. It's so well produced. Mm-hmm. First of all. Well, you know, what's funny is, is like, uh, I, I heard a talk once by a guy named Jay Graydon, who plays guitar on that record, mm-hmm. and he says that he would be brought in just for a lick. Like, right. doodle doodle, done. Yeah. See you later. And that's amazing. Yeah. Just amazing to me that they had that kind of wherewithal. But the one I really wanted to talk about was, um, back in the early 80s, there was a band out of San, San Francisco. No one knew of them. They were playing locally. They got signed to Sire Records, which was Warner Brothers, New Wave, not New Wave, New Wave, Punk, Alternative label. Sure. Released a record, took the world by storm, became the critics' darlings, broke up, and were never heard from again. They're called Pearl Harbor and the Explosions. Dude, I I remember this. I remember these guys. They're 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 great. Pearly Gates went on to marry one of the Clash mm-hmm. and did a couple records on her own, mostly rockabilly. Right. Um, there was uh, the two Stench brothers who played uh, dr- drums and bass. I knew Hillary Stench back in the day because he owned a local nightclub that I used to go to. Right. Um, and then this guitar player that I've never heard from again named Peter Bilt that looked look this band up. Um, he's... He's got the weirdest guitar style you ever heard. He plays all around. There's like what he should be playing to carry the song. Right. And there's all this other stuff that he that he does. And he removes that section, that middle part, that like what I should be doing. Right, right. And it just kind of works. It's a great pop record. It's a little dated because it is, you know, it's, it's, it's 80s kind of new wavy stuff. But it's good stuff. Yeah. Good, good stuff. You're talking about guitarist and and like unusual guitar mm-hmm. playing um and, and last week i talked about black flag mm-hmm. and greg ginn was the the, the guitarist yeah you know, it was his band mm-hmm. and uh, when you listen to the albums it sounds like this guy's just fucking off right he's just like right. making noise right it's not it's not melodic or anything and then you hear people like henry rollins say greg would sit for hours and, work and practice yeah. and work it out and that so that every time you heard it live it was the same exact weird fucked up thing that you heard on the weird, album weird. so he was like he was disciplined and and playing the same things and and and, and, and uh i find that fascinating when, yeah, yeah, when yeah, somebody's yeah. not like kind of bound by what we think of as like what well, you know mo- melody and and what sounds good guy that always comes to my mind is Neil Young. Sure. Neil Young is, in my opinion, a great songwriter, not a great guitar player, but you hear his solos, and somehow his soloing fits. Yeah. And it it's janky, but it works. Yeah. And so, it's, you know... You, know, you talk about Neil Young and when, he, when he's crunching, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's where fucking grunge came from, right? right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. like all that kind of... You know, another guitar player that comes to mind is a guy named... Fuzzy, yeah, yeah, that yeah, That yeah. sort of distortion level to 11 yeah. kind of thing. Uh, a guy... There was a guy, another guy out of San Francisco, a guy named Fred Frith, who used to do stuff like put his guitar on a workbench and use a paint stripper to strum. Sure. <laughs> he was in a band called Henry Cow, which is essentially a noise band. Right. But if you can, look up um, on YouTube. I know it's on YouTube. 
he was in a band called Massacre. There's a album called Legs or a song called Legs, and it's great. It's weird and it's all over the place. Right. But it's great stuff. There's a lot of dudes like that. Like, uh, uh, what's the what's the homeboy from uh, Sonic Youth that would do like weird tuning yeah, and yeah, play yeah, with yeah, like yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, fucking screwdrivers? Yeah, and shit. yeah that's yeah. exactly what Fred yeah. Frith does. Fred Frith and another guy, another guy named Henry Kaiser. Who, it's just it's hard to I listen say to. Lee Ronaldo was okay. that was that the name? No, in, no, 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 in, I don't know. I'm not a anyway, Sonic Youth guy. These noise people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember getting a record from Relapse called the Japanese American Noise Treaty, and it was just it was noise band bands like if you've ever heard Mersbau, and it's just it sounds like um, something isn't plugged in, right? And it's just kind of weird and noisy. It's but it's it's weird because like a lot of that stuff is the first word that occurs to me is challenging. Yeah, it's not it's not a casual listen, not a toe tapper, and and then that brings up the question of are they good? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, like, I guess it depends on what you're looking for, mm-hmm. right? And, and, uh, they have its fans. Merzbau has a huge fan sure. base. Yeah. And I, you know, I listen to it and I go, okay, but I'm not, I don't, you know, in a very weird way, I don't way, listen to a whole record. In a very weird way, I've heard the same criticism of Bruce Springsteen, where it's like, he's got like 20 people mm-hmm. in this band. And so it's just like kind of this, this kind of, mushy wall of sound yeah. and like nothing really stands out you don't hear like you know uh, uh, aside from the saxophone solo you yeah. know yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh i've i've and i and i kind of get that it's like you guys are just playing basic rock and roll mm-hmm. but you're you're doing it in such a this kind of bombastic way i think yeah. bruce springsteen's a fantastic performer i think he's a great songwriter uh-huh. i don't like listening to the e street band just yeah, because it's this, this wall of like mush there's a couple of things you know, um, I'm a sucker for Secret Garden. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for Philadelphia. Sure. You know that kind of stuff. That when I when Tom is sad and he's looking out the window, that's what he plays. Well, like there, you know, there's there, there's individual cuts where mm-hmm. it's like super stripped down, like um, um, oh, uh, um, what's the I'm on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it, that's like, got a great. By the way, a, listen to "I'm on Fire." There's a great drone sound. That to it. that is an amazing song. That's a great and, song. And and I love how the. But by the time we get the to horror like, psychobilly people yeah. picked up on it. Yeah. By by the time we get to things like Thunder Road and whatever, sure. I go, Oof, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. Um, I'm trying to think, was there anything else? No, I, a, I, I think, think that's it. Uh, next week, uh, we've got um, scheduled. I was going to be scheduled. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to announce yeah. them, but I'm going to tell you that they're scheduled and it could fall through. Uh, David Nile Wilson, who's a publisher for he's a, he publishes Crossroad Press. Right. He's I'll full disclosure. He's my publisher. Right. Uh, but he was also the president of the HWA, the Horror Writers of America. And David's a good guy to talk to about um, uh, the new face of genre fiction. Absolutely. And, and that's going to be fun. And again, thanks to Laura for yeah, coming on. This is a great episode. Yeah. This is fucking awesome. Uh, what do you got going? Anything? You working on anything? We'll get out of here. Uh, bleeding Ham, Bleeding Ham, Bleeding Ham. Bleeding Ham. We're coming yeah. up fast. Yeah, man. Ham. It's like it's coming up too fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait to see this year's things. Uh, me, I'll tell you now, I just finished first draft of the No Flesh I'll Be Spared sequel. Uh, it's rocky, but I'm planning four or five rewrites, and so that'll be fine. Um, String of Pearls, I'm hoping that they're going to get it out by the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, that's all done. And um, Cool. You'll be able to talk to 
David, David about, about that. that. Yeah. I'll grind him <laughs> next on, episode. On tape. Where's my book, bitch? <laughs> All right. So that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Do us a favor if you can. Go to the Facebook page and comment. Go to the site and comment. We want to hear what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. It's 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 gratifying to look at numbers and see numbers, and that's like, oh, cool. People. Yeah. But it's it's even more gratifying to hear people say something. Well, I just don't want to waste your anyone's time. Right. And exactly. I want if we're doing something that everyone doesn't like, tell us and we'll get rid of it yeah. and we'll figure something else out. Absolutely. Because we're we'll we're cry, but. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're smart like that. All right. Uh, we'll see you next week, guys. For the Bonus Potato Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary.